Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to the Big Honker Podcast. We have ripped another month off the calendar. It is now into August, and it is hard to believe that just in a couple weeks, everybody's going to be flocking to North Dakota for that early season honker hunting. It seems entirely too early to me, but whatever. Teach their own. Either way, better days are ahead. Best time of the year is right around the corner. This podcast is brought to you by the one and only Double T British Kennels. If you're looking for that new hunting dog for this coming season, it is not too late. Get a hold of them over at Double T British Kennels. They have puppies, started and finished gun dogs, top British and Irish field trial lines. All the dogs are working dogs that work in the waterfowl and upland fields. So if you're looking for a versatile dog, nowhere to look other than Double T British Kennels. They've got incredible dogs over there at Double T British Kennels, so go check them out. They're on Instagram. Also, we're brought to you by Gundog Outdoors. Mr. Alex Langbell has spent a lifetime uh, being a first responder, and he has taken everything that he learned in his past career and applied it into gun dogs. He's keeping gun dogs safe all up and down the flyways. He's got a field trauma kit that I think everybody needs. Put it in your car. It's light. It's packable. It's small, but it's packed with good stuff in case you ever find yourself in an emergency. Um, they've also got the quick release system, which I am a big, big fan of. No matter how highly trained your dog is, click them into that quick release system and then you don't have to worry about them. You know, a couple steps here and there. And then before you know it, you got a dog that's out in the kill hole and that is no good for anybody. So check them out. Gundog Outdoors. They've also got uh, check cords that Alec, Alex makes and uh, water bowls, leashes, collars, all sorts of good stuff. Gundog Outdoors. Also, we're brought to you by Shin Gear Waders. Built better is their motto, and I tell you what, they have knocked it out of the park. They have the best waders that are on the market, bar none. It's not even close anymore. The boots are a dream to walk in. The material is tough. It's durable, but it's also breathable and flexible. So when you're out there walking on those early cold mornings, you stay warm, you stay dry, and they've got a guarantee that they will stand behind their product as long as you stand in them. So try them out. And if you have any problems, you just send them back to them. They fix it. They ship it right back out to you in a timely manner. So you're not having to buy two sets of waders for one season. And they have the best vest in the market. They do. They do. They've got a lot of new uh, new equipment up top. They've got a new vest. They've got the, the 60 series that you can wear every day. They've got an over-under. It's a jacket that, that fits nice uh, under your waders so that you're not adding a whole bunch of bulk uh, whenever you're hunting, uh, hunting in their waders. So... Good stuff over there from Shin Gear. Check them out at shingear.com and uh, go ahead and get some stuff ordered headed your way. We're also brought to you by Pacific Calls. My new favorite goose call is the BA Lesser Call. It is a screamer. It is light. It is small. It is fast. And it is loud. I like it a lot. It is incredibly goosey. A good low end on it for, for it being a smaller, uh, shorter call. It's got a hell of a bottom, but you can really rip on it. They've also retooled their speckle belly call. It is the big bore. It's got a BBS spec call is what it is. It's got a bigger bore, easier to blow. The best spec call on the market just got a little bit better. So go check them out at PacificCustomCalls.com. They're also on Instagram. They've got a cool YouTube series. You can go check them out. They got a lot of cool stuff going on up there. PacificCustomCalls.com. And we're also brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries. It is time that you start building that spread of your dreams. August is upon us. It is spread building month. Get you 5, 10, 15, 100 dozen uh, Dive Bomb silhouettes. Get the bags, of course. That way your trailer stays nice and tidy throughout the season. And you will not regret it. It is, uh, it is time you get on the silhouette bandwagon if you have not already. 
And if you're already on the Silhouette bandwagon, well, it's time you order a little bit more. Uh, the bags are incredible. They've also got a kickback system where if you want to uh, lay in the socks, you can lay out there comfortably now. And don't forget about the socks. They've got the, the technology that they use. They've changed the game. Got a spine in it so that you don't have a limp noodle out there on no wind days. Pops up and then it pops down nice and neat, packs up. It's the way to go. Divebombindustries.com, one-stop shop. Also, we are brought to you by the Looking Glass Duck Club podcast. New daddy up there. Yeah. Logan Pyatt. Congratulations. Congratulations. Logan Pyatt, new papa. And um, they they are out of the cheek beater studio and onto the train station. Logan figured it was time to grow up and, you know, quit doing it his in his basement. life will never be the same. Quit, quit doing the podcast in his basement. They're great guys. They're hilarious. Uh, I really enjoy them. You can check them out on Patreon. Go to patreon.com. Type in the Looking Glass Duck Club podcast, and there you go. You can sign up for whatever membership uh, you feel appropriate, and then you can get all of the new episodes that they release. Great guys. They're hilarious. And the bourbon review is worth the price of entry. Also, we're brought to you by Boss Shot Shells. They're on a different level than everyone else is. They are. If you want to know what the ammunition business is going to do next year, just look at what Boss is doing this year. Copper-plated bismuth. It hits so freaking hard. It's lethal. It's effective. And the the people at Boss are on another level. They're great. Brandon, Zach, Lee, you can call Boss and you can talk to one of the big dogs. I can't even tell if you call any of these other big ammunition factories. Good luck talking to the owner. Uh, they're at all the hunting shows. They're great to talk to. They're very knowledgeable. And their product is all made in America. And it is fantastic. It's all that I shoot. And I believe that's all anybody should shoot. Two and three quarter, three five blend. And let me tell you, you cannot go wrong with that. BossShotShells.com. Call them up. Get all your ammunition delivered right to you. Make your UPS guy hate you for having to carry cases and cases of Boss Shot Shells to your door. But So go check them out at BossShotShells.com. Also, we're brought to you by Lucky Duck, the leader in spinners. Spinning wing decoys, uh, listen, you need them. You're going to love them. It's, it's what you need whenever you're field duck hunting, for sure. You need spinners, and you need several of them. They've also got one of the best blinds that's on the market, the Lucky Duck 2x4 blind, and it is one of a kind. It's durable, and it holds grass well. It's what we hunt out of every single day out here. So go check them out, luckyduck.com. Also, dove season's right upon us, so if you're needing a dove spinner, they've those got are, Those are difference makers. Those. Big time. The, the dove decoys will make or break you. I'm telling you right now, if you want to have a really good dove hunt, have the birds come to you and decoy in, it's just like teal hunting. <clears throat> don't 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 be afraid to try it. It is the way to go. Uh, also, we're brought to you by Dirty Duck Coffee. It's how we start our day out here at the Big Hunker Lodge every single day, the Missouri Boat Ride Blend, and I like to throw in a little bit of high velocity, get that little extra kick, get my day going on the right foot. Dirty Duck Coffee, you can order it. DirtyDuckCoffee.com, and it'll come straight to your door. I always try to get the big bags. Big bags, that way it lasts a little bit longer. Good stuff, and I, I highly recommend it for all of you coffee connoisseurs out there. Cannot go wrong. They've also got incredible merchandise, good-looking T-shirts, so you can't, you can't go wrong Look, rolling up in a Dirty Duck Coffee T-shirt for your hunt. So check them out, DirtyDuckCoffee.com. Also, we're brought to you by Alpha Outdoor Specialties, maker of the Stanfield Stool. They are a machine fabrication plant. You give them an idea, and they can rock and roll with it. That's how the Stanfield Stool came up. It's what we're going to be sitting on out here 
every day in our Lucky Duck 2x4s. Low profile, but it's also very, very sturdy. Very comfortable. Backrest. be looking for the blind caddy. I think that's still in the works with Alpha Outdoor Specialties. I'll let them explain it whenever it gets released, but it will be nice for people that hunt out of A-frames. Um, but yeah, if you've got an idea on something you want uh, mocked up, fabricated, look them up, Alpha Outdoor Specialties. They're on Instagram, and they just got back from the Delta Waterfowl Convention. So hopefully some of you stopped in and said hello, but they can build whatever you're looking for. Uh, we are also brought to you by Bangtail Whiskey. Oh my goodness, the whiskey sour that you can get out of that is just un- otherworldly. It is 90 proof. 45% alcohol by volume. This is not for the faint of heart. Bangtail embodies the select few who believe in hard work and relish in the opportunity to step back to enjoy the fruits of their labor. Whether relaxing for a midweek swaller or communing on the weekend with quality people, Bangtail is sure to provide a truly unique and tasteful experience. Time and time again, with deep southern roots, Bangtail provides a first-class handcrafted whiskey experience. Pour a jigger of Bangtail and enjoy. Must be 21 years or older. Also, we're brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. For 85 years, Ducks Unlimited has been putting ducks back into the sky for us duck hunters, ducks and geese. Uh, we also learned on our podcast that we have a Mr. Schusler that 80, 80 to 85 cents out of every dollar that you spend with Ducks Unlimited gets put back into duck habitat so that we can uh, have better hunting up and down the flyways. They do incredible work. Uh, I, I, I beg you. Spend a little bit of money with people that have our best interests at heart. Ducks Unlimited is that organization. Check them out at ducksunlimited.com. Become a member, spend a little bit of money, and help us preserve our flyways. Without Ducks Unlimited, we wouldn't have ducks still. No. They we, saved the ducks. We'd have lost them about 50 years ago. So yep. they do incredible work. They're incredibly smart about what they do, and they're very, very efficient with the money that we send them. So great organization at Ducks Unlimited. Last but not least, we are brought to you by Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. Dove season will be here before we know it. We're getting the lodge in order right now. Uh, do we have any dove dates, Jeff? I have very few dove dates left. i got a couple of weekdays, but you got to have a private party of 20 or more to do, and that's all we have left for dove dates. I've got a little bit of November left. I've got the Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday before Thanksgiving, which is a great Ooh, time to boy, hunt. that is a good time. And I do have that available as of right now. I've got a guy who just gave the, message, the, the dates too, so that may be gone in the next five minutes. But Uh-oh. anyways, that's what we got left. Check us out at stanfieldhunting.com or call us at 940-658-3172. And yes, Jeff does answer the phone. Go check out our our YouTube series, The First Family of Waterfowl, four-part series and it has been incredibly positive response to our youtube series first family of waterfowl on the big honker podcast youtube channel uh we hope that you would go check it out next year we're we're going to expand the episode count expand to 11 12 maybe 10 maybe i don't know somewhere in that little sweet spot but uh we've learned a lot it's been a lot of fun we hope that you would go check it out the first family of waterfowl big honker podcast youtube channel Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this episode of the podcast, we are joined by the one and only Mr. Wyman Menzer. Uh, new book is finished. It is at print. It is going to ship late October, early November. It is actually available for pre-order right now. If you go to wymanmenzer.com, you can pre-order it, and it'll be amongst the first to go out. Great guy, great guest. We hope that you enjoy this episode. Here he is, Wyman Menzer. And the Scientology guy is one of his main... Thank you.
Three, two, one. Boom, and welcome to the Big Honker Podcast brought to you by Lucky Duck. I am Jeff Stanfield with the world famous Andy Shaver. It is good to be back. I'm feeling a little out of sorts here. Just got back from vacation. <laughs> Took a week off. It's hotter than hell here. It is. It we, is. Washington we, was beautiful. We stayed in Ocean Shores, Washington, about 70 miles as a crow flies west of Seattle. Didn't know you could even go that far west of Seattle. On the Pacific Ocean, the high temperature, we never saw 70 degrees while we were there. <laughs> Typically in the mornings, it was 52 and the highs were 65. And you just see the fog roll in. It was absolutely amazing. Had a black bear come in our yard the first day we were there, never which was the again. highlight of my trip. Wow. With us today, we have... Andy says he's world famous. Andy's world famous. <laughs> this guy is a superstar. The most <laughs> famous man in Knox County for sure. There and the go. most there respected and most interesting guy, Mr. Wyman Menzer. Hello, Wyman. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you back. Thank you. Fin- you. Your, your book is is done. It's ready to be printed. It's finally, after 53 years. I, I actually set this goal 53 years ago when I was at Tech and um, and wrote 10 pages. I still have them. And realized that uh, I didn't have enough experience both in in writing a book or calling, and so I laid it down. And 53 years later, it's coming to fruition. So this is kind of like your first book in a way, then. Yeah, the- yeah. I mean, this. Well, it's my first and probably my last. I, I've I told my wife I'm I'm really tired. I've done like 28 books, and I'm I'm kind of tired. Are we retiring? Not retiring, well, maybe with book publishing, but she says I need to, to do an autobiography, but I, I, you know, I don't want to sit around that long. And You should do one. I don't want to tell a lot of things. <laughs> you should, though. About my life. Because <laughs> if you don't do it, when you die, someone yeah, is, and it yeah. ain't going to be the crap you want them talking about. Yeah. The stuff that the third thing yeah. is fascinating is not the stuff you want to know. Are you saying you got some skeletons in your closet you don't want everybody to know well, about? Well, you know, I mean, I was an ordinary kid. Yeah. You know, and I did my things. I did my stuff. I think you were just a kid. You know, and in in college, and you know, there's things that you know probably, you know, is not very kosher. But you know, it's it's part of growing up. It's part of growing up. We yeah. had a lot more time in our ages growing up than they do today. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I saw a post in Wichita Falls a couple of days ago. A guy I went to school with had memories of Wichita Falls and showed Kemp Street, 1980. And all the different stores were open, and it's where we cruised down the street. Mm-hmm. And I thought, my gosh, man, I met so many people there. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're at a car, and you pull in a parking lot, and you're drinking beer underage, and you're visiting with yeah. other people doing the same shit, and it was cool. It was fun. Yeah. And those kids don't even do that shit nowadays. No, no, it's a different world we live in. I mean, dating wouldn't even be world. fun today. Everything is predetermined before you even yeah. go on a date. Yeah, that's it takes true. all the excitement out of it. I I can't believe how young kids look today. And I don't know if it's just that I'm getting older, but when I see a 16, 17-year-old kid, he looks like a kid to me. Whereas yeah. when I see guys well, in your generation, like you look like a, y'all look like grown men. Well, I tell you what, I made the same comment to my wife recently. We, of course, I, you know, like you guys, I watch documentaries and mostly World War II stuff. And I look at, I look at these guys who's flying these, these Mustangs and these, these Corsairs and these Marines and I'm going, these guys are 19 and 20 years old, and they look like they're 30 years old. Yeah, grown-ass I mean, men. These guys are grown men because they survived through the Depression, the 20s and the Depression, and they were tough son of a guns. And it's a little bit spooky what we have today. Yeah, kids today, couldn't they couldn't fight themselves out of a paper bag. No. And no respect. Yeah. I mean, zero yeah. respect. Have you uh, seen this picture? This is one that I think is fascinating. 
So that is a guy, four years is all that makes up the difference in between the two pictures. Wow. 1941, he's on the left. He's probably, like you said, 17, 18, 17 he looks 18, 19. 17. And, then and after now he looks years, like he's in his 30s or 40s. Four years of war. When, when, that's what he looks when like. When I was a kid, there was old people. Mr. Yeah. Scott lived next door to us. He sold insurance. Mr. Scott looked like he was 75 years old. Uh-huh. Mr. Scott might have only been 55. I don't know. Right. Because the whole time I lived there until Mr. Scott died, he still looked the same. Yeah. Mr. Yeah. Hensley lived next to us on the other side. He was the yeah. same way. Yeah. And that pre-aged a lot of those people. Oh, sure it you did. Know, the, the, but even, even Hee Haw, Minnie Pearl, Grandpa Jones. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that his name, Grandpa Jones on yeah, Hee Haw? I believe so. Grandpa Jones looked like Grandpa Jones for 35 years. Yeah, he did. He got a bad case <laughs> of genetics somewhere. But... Yeah. It, but Kids today do do look younger, and they, they couldn't do what those guys did. I mean, no. they, there's that song. Jamie Johnson has a song called You Should Have Seen It in Color. And he talks about his, my tail gunner, Johnny McGee, was a high school teacher down in New Orleans. Uh-huh. And it bothered. That song really is very emotional to me because it makes me think of both of my grandparents who were at Pearl Harbor. And it just makes me think of that whole generation of people that have been forgotten about. Yep. And these young people today have no clue have the no sacrifices clue, No made. clue about the sacrifices. I mean, it's amazing. You know, recently, uh, in 1973, 1973, I believe, I met a guy when I was at Tech, and his name was Steve Wisnott. And he was a... Young man from El Paso, and he had belonged to a gang, I believe, or at least he was a pretty with a run with a pretty tough crowd, and so he got busted for you know something, and the uh, the judge gave him gave him uh, an option: you can either go to prison or you can go to Vietnam. And and I mean, Steve looked like he was fifteen years old. Mm-hmm. And he went to Vietnam and was a door gunner in a, in a chopper there and throughout the whole ordeal. And I mean, the nicest guy, uh, you would never have thought he was, he was a tough, one of the tough cookie. Most dangerous jobs yeah. in the military during yeah. the war, that, during the Vietnam War. Absolutely. And so, uh, he came back and, and did not finish high school, took his, uh, GED got into tech with the caveat that if he if he faltered one time he was gone they told him he said you, you we're gonna let you in but if you falter one time you're out of here this is it. he went on and got a master's got his b his, his bachelor's his master's uh, at san angelo and he got his phd at texas a&m taught at provo utah came back and and was the head of the department of the range department at a&m and then went on to Africa, went to wow. Sudan, went to Afghanistan, Iraq, went to all these these daggum places. And for the good of, of really the good of humanity, he in one location, I forgot if it, it might have been Sudan, he was building a university. And, uh, and so to pay his men at the end of the week, he would come into town, go into the bank, get like $40,000, change clothes, and come back out so he wouldn't be robbed. Holy cow. Yeah. Now, how many young people would do that today? They wouldn't. None. None. We don't have and, young people and, like that. And, he, and right now, he is, God bless him. 
I visited him just the other day. He has glioblastoma. He's 70 years old. And he's going to be buried with full military honors in San Antonio, Texas. That's awesome. And I'm going to be there. Yeah. Uh, he, he has a knife collection from all over the world. And I'm going, wow. I didn't know there's any <laughs> fun-looking knives, you know, from Saudi Arabia and everywhere. And so Steve, I said, Steve, I'm going to send you one of my Green River skin. I said, it's a cheap blade, mm -hmm. but I put the, the, uh, boat arc, the boat arc handle on it. The Osage Art handle on it, so I signed the handle to my friend Steve, mm -hmm. and I sent him a book. And he called me up immediately, and he said, man, I, I really appreciate it. But I got a, a message from his wife just a couple of days ago and said he's really falling fast now. So, But, but I mean, I look at him, and I'm going, my God, this guy, when I met him, he looked like he was 15 years old, mm -hmm. and he accomplished all these things. Didn't even finish high school. How many would do that today? He no. uh, he is the epitome of going to the military and getting something out of it. That's right. He learned structure. He learned to discipline. take care of himself and discipline. Yes. You know, my, my my youngest son's in the military, and best thing ever happened to him because he was a spoiled brat. Yeah. And I love pain to death, but he was he knew how to work me and his mom because he was smarter than both of us. Yeah. And when you get a kid that's smart and lazy. They can figure more ways to That's get right. out of shit than to You're do exactly stuff. Exactly right. And the best thing Payne ever did is he went somewhere where he he was probably still the smartest guy in the room in every room he's in, mm -hmm. but he wasn't getting babied at all. Yeah, yeah. He was getting someone telling you had to do this. Well, now he expects that. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And, and I told someone today they were talking about vehicles mm -hmm. and stuff. I said the greatest day of my life was when all three of my kids could buy their own cars, have their own insurance. I don't have to pay for nothing. I don't have to sign mm -hmm. no piece of paper. Or nothing. Yeah. It makes you feel accomplished. Sure. Because they're starting to do stuff on their own. Sure. Now. Sure. And that's a good thing. So this guy here, though, if it was not for the military, he probably would have ended up yeah. on the streets yeah. or doing whatever. You know, you never know. My boys, whenever they were in high school, um, of course, we, I was single and, uh, and the boys with, were with me. And uh, they said, Dad, we, we want to buy a horse or a pickup. And I said, well, boys, I can't, I can't afford to loan you the money, but I will sign for you. And we went to the bank, and I still remember those little old boys signing that note and me co-signing for them. <laughs> and they paid every dime of it back. And they learned a lesson. And they learned a lesson. And to this day, you will not find two hard, any hard, more hardworking boys than those two boys right there. Mm -hmm. See, they learned that. It's passed down. I'm telling you. I mean, those, those boys are, are working son of a guns. But see, that's what we've missed with the military these days because now the military's woke. we got ladies wearing dresses and yep. charging shits or get their guys. It's complete bullshit. But... There was a big section of our of our society that needed the military. Mm -hmm. They That's needed true. someone. That's true. And we don't have that anymore. Yeah. They don't get disciplined when they're there. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah. I think we've, to our detriment, we have, we've preached college too much, I think. I think so. I and, think so. And In I fact, think what was it last night? We need, we're going to need plumbers one day. Last night on Fox, I was watching and they had a guest on there and he said, he said that, 40%, I believe it's 40% of the people who enroll in college do not finish. I believe it. And and they're and we need to stop stressing college. Yes. And I, I totally agree. I mean, I needed college. I, I mean, I did because I I mean, I, I didn't use it as far as my profession as wildlife biologist, but I learned 
a lot of things that about you know scientific community and about writing and things like that that helps me today. But uh, but there's a lot of people um, they don't they don't need it. They just need to go out and like I say learn things like being a you know an electrician mm-hmm. and, and a plumber and a welder. I mean we got to have them. Yeah. See, and they make damn good money. College, good money. college was the biggest waste for me because I didn't take college serious. Yeah. I was there to go to parties, yeah. to meet girls. I wasn't. I to was have there, fun. my God, and, just get out as quick as I could. And I was paying for my own school. Yeah, well, I, I was too. I didn't get grants and stuff, so if, if I pissed it off, it was on Jeff yeah. nobody else, but I didn't care. Yeah. Well, that was wrong. I would love to have that over again, and I would have went to an East Coast school somewhere, a big up north somewhere. Yeah, I, I look back now, I thought, man, that would have been fun experience for four or yeah. five years, and I would have got me a degree. And but I wouldn't change what I do now. I love what yeah. I do, and I wouldn't do anything to go back and change something that makes me any different than what yeah. I am. Oh, me either. being poor me and either. struggling was the best thing ever happened to me. Yep, and it makes you learn how to yep. do different things different. I didn't. I did not want to go to college, but I knew I had to. Mm-hmm. And my dad, who finished the ninth grade. My mother, who finished the fifth grade, they always stress you must go to college because they can take everything that you have, your clothes, your food, but they can never take your education. I never forgot that. That's that age deal because I worked with an old man that was a furniture salesman at Huff Furniture, and when I was going to school, he he was on my ass all the time about grades. What kind of grades are you making? Are you doing this? Are you studying? You know, blah 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 blah. Our secretary, she saw you at the bar last night till two o'clock in the morning. Blah blah. blah. Well. <laughs> Looking back now, he was just trying to look out for me. He liked sure, me. sure. But he used to tell me that all the time. He said, "Jeff, I'm going to tell you something. They can take everything away from you, but they can't take away your education." Right. That's he it. goes, "If you get a degree, it don't matter what you get it in. You got a college degree. Our teachers right now, we're in a big teachers bind. The very, whole state is, very, and uh-huh. I think it's all over the United States. Yeah. But they're just wanting someone's got a college degree. You don't even have to have a degree in teaching. Just be a college degree, and we can make an emergency deal to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Well, I would love to be a teacher." I would love to teach history, mm-hmm. but not at a small school. I don't want to be a school where kids want to learn that subject. Yeah. I think college professor, a history professor in college, I always thought would be a cool job because you got people that well, would love to, that class because I, they're not all taken as an elective. If if I taught, I mean, I wouldn't. But if I was, you know, said I've got to, I've got to teach at Tech again, uh, and teaching history, I guarantee you the students would love it mm-hmm. because yeah. I wouldn't teach what I learned at Tech. You know, in, in history, right. in history, because it was just like, you know, this, this mundane ABCDFG. Learning dates, learning the key yes. figures. I would say, listen to this story. Right. This is what happened. This is why it happened. Yeah. And I would make it very interesting for people. Well, and that's one thing that they've done, and I understand why they did it. They, you know, they, they made this curriculum that everybody sure. has to follow. Sure. But at the same time, like it's killed our, it's killed the teacher's spark because they just, it's just the same thing sure. every year. And the teachers aren't trying to learn anything yeah, else no. to bring anything new to their class. Right. Because, I totally agree. I totally mean, agree. The teachers that teach history, they don't know anything about it. They don't study history. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I've studied the, I know, I knew nothing about the, uh, the, the, and I can't even think of it now, the Russian, the stuff that happened over there after World War One. I. I had no clue about it until I studied, until I did it on my own terms. Sure. The, what's it called? The Galapa? Uh, yeah, the, it's the Gulag Archipelago was the book, but I, I can't remember what all they went through off the top of my head. Yeah. But I, I had to go look at that. I mm-hmm. wouldn't, I had no idea about it. I didn't get interested in history until like 1987. I, I grew up liking history, but I learned the same things about history. By the time I was in sixth grade, 
I'd learned most of what I was going to learn through high school. They didn't teach us nothing else because I didn't have an out-of-the-box teacher that was like, hey, I want to tell you this story. Yeah. Like this book. My friend Lucas Bellinger sent me a book, In the Hands of the Great Spirit, 20,000-Year History of American Indians. Mm -hmm. Well, it talks about how many Indians were here at one time. Yeah. And I can't wait to read this book because it's going to teach me some more stuff. I listened to a podcast the other day. There's a guy named Dr. History that's got a podcast, and it's – it's, it's, he's kind of a cheese ball, but he's a professor. He's a doctor. I think he's an actual medical doctor, maybe. Mm -hmm. And he's a history buff, and he's out of Wyoming or Idaho or somewhere. And he talked about tobacco the other day. Tobacco was a part of the... It's a really neat deal how the tobacco was. I mean, it's they had this, they had uh, stogies yeah. with old yeah. cigars. Yeah. And, and the, it, but it just, it's a 30-minute lesson on just the history of tobacco and how it related to the Indians oh, wow. and, the, and the cowboys and stuff. And I enjoyed yeah. that one because it was something I never thought about, but I learned something on it. Sure. And, and that's what I want to learn. I want someone to teach me something like Sacagawea. I did not realize she died a young lady. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she died like at 26 years old. Really? And they didn't want to pay her the money, but she was more important to them than her husband. Her husband's name was, uh, I want to say Bonabare, but that's not it. Uh, he was a French guy. He was a French trapper. And he went to get a job as a scout for Lewis and Clark. I am fascinated with Lewis and Clark. Yeah, that is my that, new fascination right now. That's cool stuff. I mean, what a... Have you seen the Columbia River? Uh, have I seen it personally? Yes. Uh, years ago, back in the late 50s. I saw it for the first time this past weekend, and I would not want to be Lewis and Clark on there in a <laughs> raft. Pretty tough. What I saw was tough. Even as a little kid, I still remember the salmon jumping through the waterfalls. Uh -huh. Well, see, we, didn't, we were at Cape Disappointment between there and a story where Andy and them seen it where it's coming into the Pacific. It's four and a half miles wide there. Good but you gracious. get back up in 50, 60, 70 miles, and it's got canyons on both sides of the walls. Mm -hmm. There's no way to get out. Mm -hmm. I mean, you were at the mercy, and the water's a 1,000 foot deep in some places. Yeah. But they were an amazing in you know, Are you looking up her husband's name? Yeah, I'm trying to What's his John? name? Uh, uh, I can't Was pronounce it. Was it Bonapair or something? I can't pronounce it. Let me see it. Right there. Spouse? Mm -hmm. Spouse. Uh, Toussaint. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Toussaint Charbonnet. It was his name. Toussaint. Jean Baptiste Charbonnet was his son. He was real famous, too. But anyways... That he he got a job working for Lewis and Clark as a scout for them. Well, mm -hmm. he come up, and the only way he got that job was because his wife was whatever Indian whatever Indians were at, in Montana and Idaho is what she was. Yeah. yeah. So she could find a place for them, but she would have to translate from her Indian to his French to their English. Wow. And that's the only way they got through the places. That's but incredible. She, but, but when um when she died, she had two sons, Jean Baptiste and the other boy. And Lewis Merriweather gave money to them. Wow. To help those kids get yeah. raised and stuff. Yeah. But the dad was pretty much a worthless drunk, I think, basically. But, but, yeah. down to, but that's a hell of a story. But she ended, I think she died at 26 years of age. I don't 26. Think she, wow. she, I don't think she lived a long time. Wow. But she was instrumental in us getting through there. Yeah. I mean, they, they, the Indians, that was a major. Oh. You think about just letting inviting someone in because those Indians knew once the white man got in there, they weren't leaving. Right. So you had to bribe one of them. Mm -hmm. And this says she either died at 24 or 95. Well, it was 24. It wasn't 95. She died a young lady. <laughs> she died a really young lady. But I, wonder I if there's some. It's probably the Billy the Kid shit. Everybody's trying to claim <laughs> discrepancies. It. Yeah. I've been, to, I've been to her hotel that's named after her in, uh, God Almighty, right outside of, if you leave where. Little Bighorn is, mm -hmm. and you go west in Montana. There's a Sacagawea Motel somewhere. Okay, and they got a lot of shit named after right there. And I can't yeah. remember the name of the town. Which story do you believe with Billy the Kid? Do you think he's dead in Fort Sumner, or do you think he's in Heiko? 
I have no idea. Have you watched the docuseries on it that's out now? No, I have not. It's a good one. You would really I, like I'll it. I'll pass over it because I don't know. That's I'm more into World War II stuff. That is a really good docuseries, and it touches on his childhood. His his real dad was a really good guy, and his dad died. Uh, they were they paid money to go on a wagon. If the docuseries is true, because you know how that stuff is. Yeah. They were on a wagon train going to somewhere in Texas and Missouri going some to New Mexico or somewhere and they lost the cabin the, the the Conestoga wagon rolled over with all their shit in it and the dad done something to himself and he never got better and got sick and died oh, then his mom married a kind of a jackass had a little bit of money though mm-hmm. and tried to raise the boys and then he was caught caught, caught at a whorehouse and I think Billy the Kid shot him he was just kind of a bad seed then yeah but he wasn't a bad kid at first he just had a sh- that was a shit life for kids. You imagine being a kid oh raised God. at Fort well, yeah. Griffin. Oh, my goodness. Or Dodge yeah. City. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, or the mounds or anywhere it's at like that. Yeah. That is a, that was a horrible life. It, it, it was a real bad environment for a, ch- a child yeah. to, be married, uh, to be raised in. And a sure. guy had a chance. The girls didn't have a chance in hell back then. Yeah. Yeah. You either were brought up as a lady mm-hmm. and you was a debutante and you was going to marry the banker or the, right. whatever it was. Right. Or... Your chances were either to be a prostitute, yeah, or a prostitute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what it come down to. That was your opportunity. You want to be a prostitute or a prostitute? And that was a, that was choices. a very short window of time that you could be an effective prostitute. <laughs> I would think so would too. Think so too. <laughs> you know, Big Nose Kate was she a prostitute? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think later in her year she was probably not much of a prostitute. She was not very busy. Yeah, I would imagine just by her name. Mm. <laughs> Big nose, Kate. That was a that was a whole whole different world. We went to we went to a house in Astoria, I think it's called the Gulver's Mansion, and it was owned by every big city I've ever been to in my life: Galveston, Texas; Biloxi, Mississippi; Duluth, Minnesota. Every town that sits on the waterway, the biggest, nicest old antique house was owned by a ship captain. Every what was the name? Them. I think I Gul- it was the Flavel House. Flavel, Flavel, not Gulver's. You're Flavel, way off. The Flavel House. Flavel, Flavel Mansion. Beautiful building sets up on a hill, big mansion. I'm guessing yeah. 3,500 square feet. Yeah, they had bathrooms in it. Um, they were outhouse boxes in the house, but they had they had that and they yeah. had they had bathtubs and stuff. But it's amazing. But the, the lady that was the Miss Flavel, she got married when she was 14 years old. 14. And she kept a clean house. Was one of her big things and had the most beautiful home in town. Wow. But every every town I've gone to along a waterway, the biggest house is owned by an old ship's captain. If you look at them old towns on the Mississippi, yeah. it's going to be the same way. You know, I photographed a house uh, back in the 90s uh, for a book I was doing with Andrew Sansom, um, but that wasn't the name of it. It was a beautiful mansion in Galveston. The um, God, what's the name of that damn place? The I've been to it before. I want to say Biloxi, but that's not the damn thing. It's, I just I just saw something on there because yeah, it survived the big hurricane. When all the other ones got yeah, knocked, yeah. knocked off, it, they it survived was, it. God, it was gorgeous. Moody it was, Car? Moody. Yep. Moody. Moody Mansion? Moody House. Moody Mansion. That's it. Moody, what are the Moody other mansion. mansions there? Car, 1859. Yeah, those. he, he was Aston a ship Villa. captain. Moody was. Yep. Well, the ranch you, you've gone on, the King Ranch, that guy was a ship, a ship captain. Yep, he sure was. I watched it. Have you seen? There's that a was sh- it right there? Uh, which one? Uh, the Moody Mansion yep, there on, on the, the left. left. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, that's... Yeah, that was. I'm. I'm 99 sure. Yeah, I remember the staircase. Oh, right there. There was a beautiful staircase in the house. Isn't it amazing how they did that back then? 
I mean, look at that. And that that'd be hard. Was, that'd be hard to do today. Yeah, oh man, they probably come from overseas. They would ship in a lot of this mm-hmm. stuff. Um, the because that's how it was at the Flavel House. It's just this big, beautiful staircase, and you're th- it's built in 1883. Mm-hmm. You, it'd be hard to do that today with today's well, the craftsmanship. You know we, that they had back then. It's just amazing. What? How, what? How? What? How tall were the rooms? Because you asked the curator there. Fourteen foot ceilings. Okay, what an odd number. You know, mm-hmm. 14, 14 foot downstairs, twelve foot upstairs. Wow! When but, you go into the houses, like I've been in the house of Seven Gables in Salem, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. How tall are you? Six one, six two? Six foot. You're not walking in that house hardly. I'm six foot tall. It's right at your right at your head. Wow! A big tall guy's got to bend over to get in yeah, there. Yeah, sure. But the ceilings were low because it was so cold up there. Yeah, right. Understandable. And that's the, that's a, that's Seven Gables houses neat in Salem. You see the old houses, and they all got the old glass. You can tell there it's an old house by the mm-hmm. the glass. I don't know if they, if they had lead in the glass or whatever they did. Probably their glass, did. <laughs> their glass was different than the glass we have today yeah. is. Yeah. Did you? I did not realize this until recently that there's copper mines around here. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. You got yeah. copper breaks forty yeah, miles north. There's one out here on the McFadden Lane. Where's uh, it at on McFadden? It's before you get to Croton Creek on the south side. On Jake's? Uh, no, no, on, on, on the Spike Box. Box. And um, really, there's the only thing that's left. Is, I don't. I don't think it was a. It was a. I think it was just like an open pit mine, and there, there's like a an old concrete um, something there, and there's a lot of copper lying around. Now, the one that's on what's now the uh, the Venata Grande Ranch used to be the old the old driver's ranch there, mm-hmm. Adams Ranch. Uh, that was actually that actually had a tunnel back in the 60s. I remember riding up to the mouth of it and it would go down and it had an old railroad track. And a little, I say rail track it's an old rail track that was drawn by mules, I suppose, or pulled out by hand. And and you could. Back in the. 80s or 90s, you could go up on the hillside, and the uh, the rails were still there. I mean, we're talking about little rails, maybe two feet long, with little tiny spikes in them. Mm-hmm. And it ran the rail ran out to a part where they would dump the copper, and then they had this wooden, beautifully uh, with the dovetail box. And I don't know what, but it had different compartments in it, and that was still there. And it's still there. Really? I flew over it the other day and saw it. But it's it's rotted down essentially. It's Would be dangerous pieces. as hell to try to go in it. Well, in uh, 1971, they tried to re- they thought about reopening that mine, and there was a mining company came in, and uh, and they tore that mine up, and the rails are sticking out of the hillside. Was that much of an enterprise here? Uh, no, 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 no. Never took off. Uh, uh, Orrin Driver told me he he uh, was born in 18, I believe 1884. And before he passed away, he told me that he remembered when that mine was still functional and they were still producing copper out of it. We heard about this. Andy's father-in-law was telling me about it. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I didn't know nothing about it. I know there's coal mines at Newcastle. Yeah. But yeah. I didn't know about But copper prices still are not much. Yeah. I mean, hell, they make pennies out of yeah. them. I have not yet. I think copper prices, 50 cents a pound maybe. Really? It was not very much at all. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you got to get a lot of copper. Yeah. And most of the big copper mines are going to be in Wyoming or Utah where they do strip mining. Is that right? Right, right. Yeah. But I did not know that we had copper anywhere. Was there any gold mines ever around here, Claims? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. That, uh, <clears throat> And you can find, I remember as in the 60s when I worked cattle out in that country, you could you could find copper, pieces of copper strewn miles away from this place. So 
I don't know how they they pinpointed this one location to build the actual you know tunnel tunnel into the hillside. But uh, looking into it um, uh, when I was about you know 16 years old, I knew better than to go down in there because it was real sketchy. Really, real sketchy. I mean, probably somebody dead in there. Nobody knows well, about it. It had you know your gypsum. We don't have good rock here, so right, you got so gypsum always... and some old sorry limestone. You know, and so um, I wouldn't dare. And there's always a rattlesnake <laughs> right at the mouth of it, always <laughs> perched there. And, that uh, and enough to keep just, me away. You know, so I just went, eh, I don't think so. Have you have you noticed a lot of rattlesnakes this year? None. None? None. I don't know. I didn't. I've not I, seen a rattler. I didn't have much turkey hunting. I, I did a little bit of turkey hunting, but usually I always run across one or two. Yeah. And I didn't see. I think 2011 I uh, put a hit on them. Really? Yep. I hadn't seen. I mean, I'm sorry, not to, uh, to, uh, 2021. Winter of the 2021. Freeze. Oh, yes, the, freeze. the big. I think it put a big hit on them. I haven't I have. seen any rattlesnakes. Like Randall Lodge will kill we'll one a year. Probably four. Yeah, this, going home yeah. tonight probably. But usually yeah. on 2279 on the road here. Yeah. When At I night. first moved out here. If you drove to town at nighttime, you was rattlesnakes on the road. I was thinking, Jesus Christ, they have anything but rattlesnakes here? Yeah, they're everywhere, and you very seldom see one. Yeah. Even in the even in the autumn time, I know that when I was a kid, like on a, on a Saturday night, Dad said would tell us, "Hey, get let's jump in the car and go count rattlesnakes mm-hmm. in October." Yeah, and we'd drive like from our house on the Brazos all the way to Truscott and back, and you could there'd be rattlers all across the highway. You don't see that much anymore. No, I mean... I'm Wild not. pigs, you think, hurt them too? Uh, I've heard that. I know that there was a den that uh, existed uh, west of Benjamin and uh, before the hogs came in. And then I, ca- I went to the den to check it out after, you know, several years after the hogs moved in. There wasn't a snake around. Really? Yep. Those pigs not probably wiped them around. Out. So you've seen rattlesnakes. I've never seen a rattlesnake den in person. I'm so- Oh, yeah, I've seen several. Several There's one person. right here on this road going back south, going towards O'Brien. Where? Right that old house. Right there on the right side. I've yeah. seen. No, well, that makes sense. Like there, an old, uh, old abandoned house. Yeah, I'm there, talking like just 15, one that's built in the rocks. A couple of years ago, I went through there in November. We had warmed up. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it got cold again. And there was probably 15 rattlesnakes, all five foot long, yeah. laying on that road right there. Somebody had run over every one of them and killed really? them. Really? But they go to that house. Yeah. Sure. Uh, there, was a, there was a den uh, a few years ago. My brother located um, east of Benjamin, and he told me about it, so I was going to get my camera and go down and check it out. And I remember walking up and looking down into this little draw, and there were just rattlesnakes crawling everywhere. Oh, my goodness. And I just very carefully eased down in amongst them. Mm. No way. And knelt down, and none of them rattled. None of them paid me any mind. They were just crawling around. And I was photographing rattlesnakes everywhere. How many do you think were there? Oh, goodness gracious. There, I don't know. I know one day I counted 11 at another den about a mile from there that I walked up and knelt down and I counted 11 rattlers laying around me. Mm. Hell oh, no. My goodness. No and, and way. One, com- one coming up toward me to go in a hole, then I just backed up and left. I don't have a problem with them. What mm. time of year was this? Uh, usually around February. So they're still kind of lethargic. Well, it's, a, it's, it's on a windless uh, day. It can be 40 degrees. But when the wind's not blowing, and they're always on the south side of a hill, uh-huh. always on the always south on side, the south always side. on the south side of a hill, and the wind not blowing, they don't like wind. Okay, and uh, and you can you can pretty well count on finding them. Is it on the south side because it gets natural sunlight yes. and it yes. warms them up easier? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, I, I I I'm not doing that. That sounds crazy. <laughs> and they didn't rattle. 
No, they wouldn't rattle. I mean, I I was I didn't disturb them. I, I just eased up there and just knelt down and watched them. How often does a snake like that, a four or five foot snake, he eats a rat once a week? You know, I don't know. Uh, I kept a rattler one time all summer long, caught him in the f- uh, late winter, kept him all summer. And I named him. I can't remember what his name was, but he was a big son of a gun. He had like 14 rattles. And uh, I remember I would shoot sparrows for him. And I would pitch him in his little den or his little cage. And I remember he would ease up to them and nose them around to where their head was went into his mouth first and he would swallow them. And I would take him out on a walk to exercise <laughs> and I'd had a stick and I just kind of put on either side of him and make him kind of crawl. Like walking a hog. Yeah. <laughs> and then one day I made a mistake. Well, and it probably wasn't a mistake, probably the best thing. I moved it off a of concrete. It was just a, a cage that had no bottom and I moved it out in, in on the ground that gone. night. He burrowed under and he's gone. Never seen him. Never yeah, saw him old, again. old George was gone. So what do they do? Have you ever seen them burrowing? Like, do they just thrash yeah, back and it's, forth? It's with their nose. They dig with their nose. And they can like dig with their nose. Yep. yep. Did he get pissy like when you were walking him? No. So he knew. He rattled one time in all the months I owned him. One time. And he and when he rattled, he struck. Mm-hmm. And it was just a sudden. And that was it. And he struck. And what happened, he was around a log. And I had my stick. And I moved my stick around. And it scared him. And he struck at that stick. And he rattled instantly and then quit. And after that, he never rattled again. But, but, but other than that, you never than had that, any problems never rattled. with him. My dad had a couple of rattlesnakes that he had. He trained dogs with them. Like people would bring their labs, they'd yeah, scare yeah. them, shock them around the snakes, so they'd stay away from them. They cut their fangs out. Yeah, they they would wrap the they he they uh so their so, so so their mouth, mouth yeah. shut. So yeah. I've seen them doing on the out old, on the King Ranch area. An old drinking taxidermist buddy at dad's in Wichita did it, and dad would you know have two or three of them, and he'd water them and, yeah. and put water on them, and they'd suck that water into their their skin. I've watched them uh, drink, and. Uh, and I caught one one time on the Brazos River, and he was huge, an enormous rattlesnake, more so in the body and just the, the size of the circumference of his body. And a very strong rattler and a, and a fighting son of a gun. I called him uh, Bluto. <laughs> and, in fact, I took a photograph of him, sold to National Geographic. They kept it for it was on their TV for two years. They bought it and had it on the on the wall when they in their TV show. And... Uh, he, uh, I took him to release him back at a den, and there was a big spring there, and he, he crawled up to that spring and just raised his head up and put his nose in the water, and just there you could see him just pulling on that water. And that's how they do it. Just like a... That's crazy. Like pulling on a straw. I wish I could find that picture. The one, the, the, this one is all over the place, but I can't find Bluto, the... Uh, the the diamondless diamondback. Oh yeah, the patternless. Yeah. yeah, that's that was a that's a heck of a of a rattler. Now, the one on the far left is the most dangerous. That's a Mojave. This one? Yes. That snake scared me. Why? When I took that photograph, I was actually had that rattler up on a little uh kind of a hogback ridge. And so I straddled him with a 100 millimeter macro lens. And it was a it was a chilly day, and so I didn't think he would strike. Oh, because it was so cold. And a, and a, a friend of mine, a biologist friend, brought that snake from the Big Bend. So that is a Mojave rattler, True the Mojave. most poisonous rattlesnake in America. 
and and I was coming down on him, and I was and the way you can tell a Mojave from a Diamondback scientifically, from a scientific standpoint, is this or the the uh, pattern of the uh, scales on the back of his head right between his eyes. Those yes. And so I was going to focus in on that, and I was shooting, and all of a sudden he just struck straight up at me. Straight I mean, up. just jumped straight up. And I jumped and fell down on him. Oh, shit. <laughs> and he, when, he, oh, no. when he came up, he came down on his back, on his totally, everything on his back, and he was trying to right himself, and I had one arm, one hand on the ground trying to get off of him. And I finally got off of him, and that's the only time I've really been scared of a rattlesnake. Of a rattlesnake. He, went, he knew you were there. He, oh yeah, he never straight acted, up. never, never put his tongue out. But when I got to a certain point, he struck straight it. up at me. He and when he did, I jumped and I stumbled, or my foot slipped out from under him and I fell on him. But I kept one hand on the ground and, and stayed off of him. And he was on his back because he struck up and then fell on his back. And then I rolled off of him and then he righted himself. And I, I, my my blood Circles pressure was up. So what did you have to do after that? I quit. Clean up my pants. I got my picture. I you got, got your picture? And yeah. What did you tell your friend? Like, come I, get him? I, I took him, put him back in the box. <laughs> now, when you say you're catching these rattlesnakes, do you have a stick that, that you... Yeah, you know, one, you of those, one of those catcher jobs. Oh, okay. You know, You've yeah. got one in the early those. days, I did, and all I had was a wire with a hook in it, you know, like a chicken. Have you seen old uh, methods of catching chickens? No. It's just a long wire, a heavy wire with a, with a U in it. Mm-hmm. And you'd reach and grab it by the feet. That's why my dad used to do it back in the fifties and sixties, mm-hmm. and that's what I used as a snake catcher, and uh, and I would catch rattlers, especially big ones, just to photograph them. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I got me a regular snake catcher because it won't hurt them. That other one will, will scratch them, and you you're not really supposed to break the skin on them. They say they'll get a fungus or something and die. Did I tell you about the boy in Oklahoma that was using the snake catcher and got bit? Uh-uh. Game warden at Holbert, where we were at, was t- he told me this story. He said he got a call that. There's a snake biting victim by this mountain down there. So he goes over to it, and there's this guy standing in the road waiting on EMS to get there. And he goes, what happened? He goes, oh, I just saw a snake, and it bit me. He said, well, where were you at? Oh, just right here. He goes, where were you at? Because they, they, they were trespassing on a place they weren't supposed to be. Finally, the guy said, oh, okay, gosh, dang it. I was up there on that hillside right there. He goes, well, do you have a snake? Well, I got one in my bucket, and that one got away from me up there. So I'm going to go get your bucket and let that snake go. And he walks up and lets the snake go, and he comes down to him. They take him to the hospital. He said, I'm not going to give you a fine. You learned your lesson, but don't be going places. You're not supposed to be in there. That guy told you. You don't want you over there. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, it was a dry strike. Two days later, he gets a call from dispatch. Same place, same mountain. Goes up there, same guy waiting in the ambulance. This time, this guy's crying. He's hurting. Oh, oh. hands swelled up like freaking, you know, like it aired it up. Uh-huh. Crying, and he gets him in the hospital, and they hit, they give him a bunch of vials, and he gets about three days after it's over. He goes to see him in the hospital for three days. He goes, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to give you a ticket for trespassing. I told you, he writes him a ticket. He went up there and found another snake in a bucket and let that snake go. And he goes, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm using them catchers. The guy would catch him and have the catcher on it. Then right before he'd great... To grab him, he'd let the catcher go and then grab him on the back of their neck. Well, that's not very smart. <laughs> no, not he, ass. he said, I'm telling you, the pole, the holes were almost the exact same spot the ones before were. <laughs> oh, good gracious. There was a guy down um, in, uh, down by Menard in that area years ago, kept a rattlesnake. I heard this story told down there by some people, and he kept a rattlesnake in his toolbox, and he would uh, put it under his hat. <laughs> And, see, and like take his hat off and go hi, you know, kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. And that rattler struck him. He reached in, and grabbed him one day, and struck him, and and he died before he got to the mm. to the hospital. I saw the guy, the the preacher guys that does the snakes. 
That guy got bit the other day. He had blood squirting out of his neck and shit bit him in the oh, neck. Oh, one of those, uh, one of those uh, dealers or whatever. whatever. Yeah, yeah, in Appalachia or whatever yeah. that worship. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I'd like to be in the back room just to watch the idiots do that. Oh, man. Just because I, I love it. Because I'd be afraid the snake would bite somebody and then get away, and then i got to figure out how to get <laughs> Yeah, He was talking to it and kissing on it and stuff, oh, and all really? of a sudden he kind of tensed up and started squirting. We were at the Texas Trophy Hunter show one year, and a guy got in a um, sleeping bag and got bit by a snake, bit him on the thigh. Well, you know, that's, you deserve that it's like swimming with a shark and then get mad at the shark well you're swimming in the water he lives in right you know it's it's a bad deal but right. you're in his territory well when you yeah. crawl a, a sleeping bag and you put 40 rattlesnakes in with you don't yeah. be shocked when one bites you on your ass well what what happens is those guys have these rattlers that they do with this with all the time mm -hmm. and these rattlers get accustomed to human you know presence what i want to say when i'd see people doing this I'd say well let me go over here on the brazos and find me a blue toe Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the big boys, but mean boys who doesn't know what a man is. Right, and let's pitch him in there and let's see you do it then. <laughs> yeah, you ain't gonna do it then. What's well, the biggest and, snake you've seen? Oh golly, I, okay, the biggest snake that I've ever. Well, it was in South Texas. Of course, snakes you're, go you're real wrong. big down there. But here, one time I was trying to to get a bunch of rattlers to uh, to sell to uh, to uh, purchase a regular snake catcher. And so I was dynamiting a rattlesnake den. And uh, and I saw this big rattler in a crack in the bluff. And I told my brother, I said, man, here's one really big rattler by his head. You can just see by his head, it was huge. I said, throw me a stick of dynamite down here, and I'm going to blow this bluff off, and we're going to catch me a big, catch some big snakes. Because I see other snakes also going up in this crack. So I stuck the dynamite up in there and lit it run around the side of the hill, and when it blew off, it blew the snake in two. Oh, man. And he was still 47 inches long. Ooh. Ooh. So he was an eight-footer. He's still 47 inches long, and he was blown in two. I wonder what something like that would weigh. 50 pounds? 40 yeah, pounds? No, no, probably 12, 12 10 so or 12 pounds. Well, yeah. I'm thinking He'd be worth like a that. lot of money, though. Yeah, yeah. That's $10,000 snake. It's, it's because of the size. Yes. Yeah. Was the head the size of a tennis ball? It was, I don't know. All I remember, it was astonishingly large. Head, astonishing. I I had not seen a snake that big in a long time. Was he still trying to bite you after it was over. He was trying to crawl away. Yeah, I saw I saw a deal where some Chinese guy they eat king cobras over there in Thailand or wherever the hell they are. Maybe Nancy Pelosi will get bit on her ass while she's there. <laughs> so, anyways, they had it. Um, a guy cut its head off and threw it in the sink and was doing it. Put his hand down and that son of a bitch bit and killed him. him. Killed really? Him. Yep. Was it a cobra? It's king yeah. cobra. Ooh, boy. He killed him. I saw uh, Anthony Bourdain. He ate, they they kill the cobra right in front of you, and I guess. Drink the blood. Well, no, you eat the heart as it's still beating. Mm. They'll take it out, and he you take it like a shot, and that's just, See, part, that's of what, just too part, weird. Of, part of what they do over there. That's too daggum weird. I couldn't do it. No. We went to Pike's Market when we were. He said it beat as it was going down his throat. Oh, that's too strange. We went, we went to Pike's Market when we was in, in Seattle. They throw the fish and stuff, and they have all kinds of markets. But they had actual real um, – were those Chinese food that we had? Or was it Korean or Vietnamese? It was or, Chinese. I get it. I'm all confused. I don't, I, don't know, I, I don't know how the hell you tell them apart. Mm -hmm. So I know that makes me sound racist, but <laughs> shoot me. I just – I don't know. I don't understand it all. I don't but know either. They, uh, we went to there. They had a Greek place. Every ethnicity had its own food place there. It's a really interesting place. I would highly – I'd like to go back just to see it again. And walk around and see the different that things. That was in, in Seattle. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I I'm would just, not go. Other than that, I wouldn't see anything fall. else. There's nothing else in Seattle to see. You drive by and there'd be homeless camps. Yeah. Just tent cities yeah. popped up everywhere. And it wasn't yeah. like tents, like Coleman tents. It was like 
old blue tarp tents. Yeah, yeah. We, me and Michelle, two years ago, we were in Seattle in August, and we drove out on a really nice. We went down by the marina where they keep all the big nice boats and stuff, and we went out on a head or a peninsula, big beautiful homes. I'm talking one, two, three million dollar houses mm-hmm. just lined up there, and in front of them was rows of cousin Eddie's fucking old trailer and and tarps. They have signs will work for drugs and blah blah everywhere, and, and, and people don't even. They don't do shit. I got, I got the airport. Somebody said they just ignore this that. shit. I don't I would turn my water hose on. Oh, yeah. I'd make their life freaking miserable. There's no public bathrooms. When you get to Seattle, they've all closed down their bathrooms because the druggies will go in there and then they'll shoot up. So you can't, if you've got to pee, you got nowhere to go. They've got outhouses. They got uh, porta potties everywhere. Called the honey. Honey buckets. The honey buckets. They're everywhere. But my son, you know, I've got a seven year old and a three year old. Well, they got to go, four year old, they got to go to the bathroom every once in a while. Uh-huh. And we would like, do you have a bathroom? When no public bathroom. The honey buckets. No, no, no bathroom for anybody. Where I don't, do you I pay don't or understand anything? why they tolerate that kind of stuff. That's the thing I don't understand because we wouldn't put up with that shit here. No. I say that, but Austin, Texas puts up with that shit. Well, yeah, but that's Austin. Yeah, but know. we're not going to put up with that in Lubbock. Wichita Falls ain't going to put up with it. Right. Abilene's not. Right. I mean, that's the problem. They just keep turning the other cheek all the time, and now mm-hmm. you got guys shooting up heroin in the Target bathrooms, if they're even in the men's bathroom, because they might go in the girls' bathroom because they don't know who they are. That's a whole other story. I, I read this weekend where a guy and his wife went to a doctor. She's going to have a baby. And one of the questions was, is she a biological female? She's having a freaking baby, you know? <laughs> I don't know. You have to be biological female to have a... This is a doctor asking you this. First, you can't be that stupid. Oh, no. my word. Yeah. Are you? Could you imagine taking your your wife to have a baby? Yeah. Is she a biological female? Well, how else did well, this get Yeah, in? how do you think she got where knocked up? Where did all this... Where did this come from? What, what, what sourced this, this I insanity? Don't, I don't know. I mean, who, who started this and how it's going? This all started, I'm assuming, back in the hippie days at, uh, was it called, Roxbury or what no. was it, Park? Hashbury? Oh, oh. Hashbury, yeah. yeah. Hey, that's, Hashbury. that's where it all hey, started Hashbury, from, yeah. and it's just grown and grown and grown. But that was the first progressive hippie movement in our country was a hate Ashbury in San Francisco. You don't think that's where it all started, Andy? No. Well, like old like old Harris the other night, saw her on on uh, what was it, Instagram. She yeah. said, "I am a female. I'm I'm wearing a blue suit, and I'm going. What this is this insane. To, what does this have to do with what, what does it have me, to do Kamala? with anything? Yes, right. it, none. Well, who, where do you think it started? If you don't think it started with the hit me movement in the Frisco in the '60s, um, that was about. No, I don't think it was that. I just think that we've gotten to a time where. It's just insanity. The, the the literal inmates are running the asylum now. Um, yeah, but I think it all I've falls seen, back to that, though. I have seen, and I was about to look it up right now, when Rome fell, it's basically what America is now. Nobody was working. Things were too easy. Yep. And there was a lot of transgenderism and gender politics when Rome fell. I was actually about to look it up. There we go. So 250 years. There we go. Is about the end but, of a but civilization. But they said that... When the the biggest problem was that men quit working in Rome. Things were way too easy. Everybody could pay to have things done. And there was also a time of this weird gender thing. So I was about to look that up right now. But it, it if it happened to Rome 250 years ago, maybe it's just a natural progression that humans go through. I don't know. Good gracious. It's just crazy to where we have come from. Yes. From World War II, the greatest generation, yes. to this. I mean, it's just so... George W. Bush, not a fan of his at all anymore. Yeah. I used to really like him. But his dad, George H. Bush, 19 years old, landed on the um, aircraft carrier, got shot down. Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
he he was born with a silver spoon, but there wasn't a lot of silver spoons in. You had to go fight. Right. I mean, Elvis Presley was in the military. Yep. So, yep. I mean, George H. or George Herbert Bush, he fought for our country. Yep. You yep. know? So somewhere between him and where we are now is when all this shit happened. Yes. And yep. we all want our kids to have better lives. My grandparents, my grandkids have been all over the United States this summer. They've all had two to three trips. I mean, they've got to go places I never got to go. That's what I want them to have. Mm -hmm. Some sacrifices were made by us to make sure that happened, mm -hmm. but that's what you want to have happen. I don't want to die with a bunch of money in the bank and never been anywhere. Yeah, I want to have some deals. But how much do we give these kids before they just expect it and they don't want to go out and work to give their grandkids or kids something? You know, uh, whenever my boys were young, and their mother left us, and uh, we were there by ourselves at the, in Benjamin. You know, I told, I just, I just laid a lot. I said, guys, you know, we're, it's just the three of us, and I'm on the road, and we're gonna have to stick together, and we're gonna have to work. And I mean, the boys would go out and just they would, they would trade. Uh, uh, there's one guy there down the street told me he said, man, there's not a better trader than. Than your boys, <laughs> see, they'll trade you out your britches. <laughs> I mean, these guys can trade. Yeah, and they were little kids, and they just they grew up knowing how to work. And I wanted them to do that. It's like when Pate came to me uh, when he was like a junior high, or senior in high school, and he said, "Dad, I need a, I need to make a down payment on a pickup, but there's not any day work." And this was like in uh, January. And I said, "Well, let me uh, let me show you. Uh, let me go check and see if the furs are worth any money." So I called Albuquerque, and the guy said, yeah, you know, cats are bringing on average $130 a piece. So I'm going to show you how to trap bobcats, and you can make a you can make your down payment. He went out and caught like 30 bobcats in uh, in about three weeks and told him, showed him how to skin them. I remember one day he called me, and he said, Dad, I'm, I'm doing some stuff. Can you skin those cats for me? And I said, no, you caught them, you skin them. And he had, he had to come home and skin his cats, but he got his down payment, and he bought his pickup. Do your yeah. grandkids have the same kind of work ethic? Oh, uh, Pate's uh, kiddos, they work like some of them. He makes them go out and do chores, feeds the dogs, feed the horses, feed the cattle, feed the sheep. I mean, they've got chores every day. Country kids. Yes. See, that's the difference. We're not, we're not, we don't have no country kids hardly anymore. Mm -hmm. The average person that listens to this podcast that grew up in the country lives in the city now. You know, I told somebody the other day, you're a country kid. No, I'm not either. I'm a city guy. Yeah. I live in the country, but that doesn't yeah. make me a country kid. I mean, we've had show hogs and all that kind of stuff, but I'm not a country guy. Yeah. Andy's not a country guy. Mm-mm. Well, so no. You are, but you're not. Right. We were raised in a small town in the country. Yeah. You're, you're, you're a country guy. You grew right. up on a farm. On a ranch. Yeah. And, and so. You know, ride 11 miles to town when you want to go spend a weekend or a Saturday in town. I'd saddle a horse and ride, well, actually on the highways 11 miles but through the country about seven and I'd ride through all the, the rough country and the creeks, and I'd go to town, spend the day riding around with my buddies, and then I'd ride home late in the afternoon. We're going to, if things keep going in the way this country is going to go in, and it's not getting very better, very good, there's going to be a lot of hungry people come wintertime. Yep. The this people, winter? Yes. You think so? I think so, with the food shortages and stuff. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I think they'll probably be okay, but the next winter I think is really going to be bad. Mm -hmm. But people like out here, we're going to be fine. Protein is not a problem for us. Right. Now, Maybe the things we like, like jelly donuts and shit, we ain't gonna be getting that. Yeah. But we can survive on what we have here. Tony's oh, sure. got a garden up there at the, his house, you know. Sure. Andy's father-in-law's got a big garden. We'll be fine food-wise, and we've got protein out the wazoo. Well, can you imagine living in the inner city in Dallas? Oh no, I've sat in a hotel room in, in downtown Dallas before, 
and just stared out the window and looked at the traffic and thought, what would happen if all hell broke loose? Mm-hmm. You'd be wanting to get your ass back to Benjamin real well, fast. Well, and nothing but a solid stream of cars yes. on the on the interstate going around, and I'm going, everything would be total, complete chaos. Yeah. yeah. That's what's so funny about all these these liberal policies that we see. You'd get conservative real quick if things got really, really tough. Uh, I if think the, so. If the rubber met the road... I and think what's that old saying uh, uh, that's you've never you've never met an atheist in a foxhole no yes. or a tornado right. seller or, right. <laughs> or if someone's in tornado salad it's not, I've been there before a lot of prayer a lot of praying going on by yeah, people yeah you know but I think it'd be interesting to see like let's 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 put let's put some shit to the fan and see see if these liberal policies exactly. are still what you're all about exactly and I don't think I that agree. you would be I no. think. I think, you know, everybody's talking, you know, everybody, oh, everybody's special and everybody's unique and everybody should be treated this way. But if, I guarantee you, if it came to feed my family or yours, yeah. you're up shit's creeping That's, out of paddle. I agree. I totally agree. I mean, we've bought, I've got buckets, rice, beans, flour, mm-hmm. sugar. I've got stuff in case something happens. Yeah. My wife is a very good cook. We'd survive on that. And I'm telling you right now, you can wrap a dog turd up in a, do- a corn tortilla or flour tortilla, and it can probably taste pretty good. So we'll be okay. <laughs> and we're going to have we're going to have lots of protein in our area, whether yeah. it's a deer, a duck, a hog, whatever. It right, is. right. But those people living in towns, they don't uh-huh. have that. AOC just the other day said, "I don't understand why we got to grow all this stuff when you can just go to an Albertsons." Well, yeah, they, t- they don't understand. <laughs> One of the politicians did the other day. Oh my! I mean, they AOC, don't they yeah. don't understand no. that someone has to farm those vegetables. They have to produce. The, the eggs don't grow on trees. No, no, and and they do not know that. No. Chickens are making a big comeback in our area. Really? You're know, starting to see a lot of people with chickens now. And I don't think that many people are eating eggs. People are just preparing in case they need one. Yeah. That's the greatest protein there is. Yeah. If you have a chicken, you got eggs, and you've got the actual machine that makes it that you can eat too. I don't think you can come up with a better piece of protein yeah. than that. Yeah. No, it just regenerates. I just, I don't know. I, I, you've seen things from when they were at their best in America. Absolutely. And, to, to now. Absolutely. Born in 1950. Uh, I remember the 50s, you know, from about 55 forward. And uh, I just remember happy times, people working, you know, uh, businesses were booming. And, uh, and then I've seen the decline. And it's sad. And just the, the person that you see now. It's totally different. Oh, the type from of the, the type of yeah, person, the, yeah, the, what the, they're uh, made of today. The the, the people, um, like I say, I I grew up working with with these older guys that were born in the late eighteen hundreds, mm-hmm. and and I'm proud proud to have done that because I I've seen this what now would be in history books, and then I see compared to what's today, and I just kind of shake my head and go, I can't believe. I can't believe the changes that's mm-hmm. occurred in this short, in just one lifetime. Yeah. It, it's it's ridiculous because you can't find young people, <clears throat> and it's not just young people, it's people 40 and under. They don't have to, ha- they don't know how to handle a conversation. Right, right, I agree. I mean, just just normal little things you talk about. Yeah, I, yeah. I visit with everybody. If it's mm-hmm. a lady taking our bags at the at the airport to whatever, I talk. I like to visit, I like to find out sure, what people are about. Sure, sure. And, and, and you'll find people that love to talk back because not very many people will talk. Yeah. Everything's just a transaction in life now. Yeah. And I, I want things to be the way it was before. You know, if Art, Andy Griffith, that's the kind of world we need to live in. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. 
and, and it'll never happen. Yeah. But a, a world where people were friendly and they were respectful to each other. Mm-hmm. But if times were tough, they would help each other out. Even exactly. if it was your enemy, you would help. Yep. You know? And, and people just don't they, don't, they don't stop to try to help anybody anymore. They yep. want to take a picture. That's true. That's true. You don't. I mean, I've I've stopped and helped people, especially in the wintertime. But uh, generally speaking, you know, you just kind of, you know, pass going by because you don't know what you're going to well, get. Exactly. I'm I a mean, stopper. how many how many times have you heard, you know, you see this damsel in distress only to find out that she had her big boyfriend hiding you, out. Yeah, exactly. With a pistol underneath yes. and was just waiting for somebody to stop yeah. so they could rob them. I, yep. I and stop. now that I've got kids, I don't ever stop. I yeah. always stop. Yeah. I always do. No. You need some help. In the wintertime, I do. And when it's really, you know, tough weather, I've, I've picked up several people when it's really bad and uh, and they've all been very kind, very nice to me and, you know, bought my lunch and that type of thing. I didn't ask for it, but uh, but I just don't, you just don't, it's, I don't know. You don't, well, you don't see the number of people, though, and in distress on the highway much anymore. That is true. No, because Car- cars are better. Cars are way right. better. No flats like they used to be. I'm right. sure I'll get one on the way home tonight. Right. I had a guy, um, no, two ladies, two lesbians, and they were obviously lesbians. If a woman's got the same hair I have and they're built like me, <laughs> she's on that team. Anyways, yeah. they were they were outside of Knox City and they had their window roll. They they had their window down just a little bit and they were looking at a um, on a phone. You could tell they were lost. And I'll come up next to them and that one noticed me and they were scared to death. And I said, "Ma'am, do y'all need some help? You know, you're obviously lost here." Yeah. It was going to go on the road that goes right by the uh, towards Peyton's. It goes by the cemetery. Uh-huh. Go just south right there. There's not a road there. Yeah. I was like, you, you don't need to go that way. And they were trying to go to somewhere at Rochester. Finally convinced them that I wasn't the the killer that they thought the I was. Bad, but they, they were scared to death. Really? Like, ma'am, I'm just trying to help you. If you don't want help, I'll leave. I'm yeah. just, but you're lost. And finally she kind of told me where she was going, but she was scared. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the new book. Sure. The new book is about varmint hunting. It's about predator calling, yeah. Predator calling. Yep. Yeah, it's called The Art of Predator Calling, uh, A Portrait in Tradition. And it's about traditional calling, not about electronic calls. It's about the way I grew up learning how to call from the old men who called back in the 40s and the early 50s. Did the Indians do this too? Yes. How uh, the did they do it? Earliest days, the earliest historical event that I uh, found was in 1854 with Marcy Expedi- Expedition. I think it was at uh, when they were trying to uh, locate the head of the Red River. And he had a Delaware Indian guide who used an eagle bone call, or a, either an eagle bone call or a piece of a, a leaf in a bone or something. But anyway, he was calling antelope within rifle range so they could have food for the larder. I've never heard anybody calling up antelope. Yeah, and, uh, and it, and it, and it uh, imitated a, a, a fawn in distress. Well, instead, they call up a, a lion, a mountain lion, and it rushed him, and he said, luckily, we got a good shot in and killed it. And he said something to the effect of, it is a danger, is an instrument you don't use in dangerous country. And so that's the earliest historical So they called up a mountain lion. They called up a mountain lion. They this eat is it? in 1854. I don't, they didn't say. They, that was a delicacy to them. A lot of, I know a lot of the Native yeah, Americans love to eat mountain lion. Yeah. What does that mean in dangerous territory? Like if there's a lot of natural like, predators? Like in wilder country, in wild right. wild areas. Right. Back I, there. I think that might have been the term that he used. But I've got the quote in the book because I've got the foreword. The foreword is written by Neil Wilkins. Neil Wilkins is a, is a good friend of mine. He's the CEO of the East Foundation. He is probably... One of the one of the he is a, he's an intellectual. He's the kind of guy 
who can go in and have a conversation with the best minds, economic minds, come out, grab a rifle and a backpack, and go into the Gila wilderness and camp out for a week. It's <laughs> the kind of guy he is. When he was in graduate school, he ate roadkill. They would, they would, he went to East Texas over there and uh, studying forestry, I believe. And he said, we'd pick up anything dead that was still fresh on the highway and take it home and eat it. East Foundation, is that the King Ranch, that, that east down there? No, no that's the, uh, the the old East Ranch, the Robert East Ranch. Where's it at? Uh, that's at Hebronville. But same Qu- area down there, though. Yeah, that same Their area. Their daughter was married yeah. to a king, right? Right, yeah. Yes, yeah. okay. And so, uh, well, he was actually, yeah, th- um, the son, the son was married to a Clayburg. The, and the East boy was married to a Clayburg. And so that, that put the King Ranch and the, and the East Foundation together. And so, uh, uh, and then we've got... Uh, so why would he eat roadkill? Go back to that. Ooh. Well, the roadkill, he said, he said we couldn't afford anything. Oh, really? Just, it was from probation. He said, we had to, we had to eat. Right. So we ate alligator. We had. We ate everything that we could find that was still fresh. So you've never been hungry, Andy? No, I, no, I never have. I mean, and... I mean, but this guy is guy's, that good or bad? I don't know. This guy's a, a PhD. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy is so intelligent. It's incredible the things that he knows, the depth of his knowledge. And so I was so honored when he wrote the forward to this book. And it's a very he's he's. I hope I can live up to what he <laughs> says in the forward. I'm, I'm sure to be really good. So back in the Indian days, they they used these calls. Yes. When when did we start seeing calls commercially made? Uh, you know the Burnham brothers, uh, Mister Burnham. There was Winston and Murray, and then there was Mister Bur- uh, Burnham, and he, I think he started calling back in the thirties. Because that's the uh, first ones I've ever heard of. Is yeah, the Burnham brothers. yeah. And then you had your Weems, and I've got a, a book of a friend of mine loaned me at home that's got essentially every commercial call that's ever been made. You know, there was one made years ago in Lubbock, have a fountain pen. It's a very, very collectible call now. And I used one one time and called up a bobcat back in the 60s. And a friend of mine had it, and that's the only, one, all the call, only call we had that day, and went out in his old, uh, some old car that had a clearance of about six inches and drove way back out on the ranch, you know, hitting high center, went up on the bluff, and he had a 303 British, and he loaned me a 30 alt 6 that I'd never shot before, and we called up his Bobcat with his call. And, and today that call is a collectible. Right. And so this, this book covers all of the, the commercial calls that's been, that's been made, I guess, since uh, commercial calls were, were constructed. So Now, do Bobcats and Coyotes, will they come to the same, like, cadence? Yeah. Yeah, they come the same. Bobcats like uh, a squeakier sound sometimes, if you, especially if you're going to lure them in close. Really? But they'll come to the same call. So yeah. you're not having to, you're not, not saying, really. okay, I'm targeting Bobcats today. I need to do. Only time I'll target a Bobcat is if I'm in, in Bobcat country. And I know, you know, it's like this winter. In fact, the last cat I called up and photographed, um, I was thinking this is good cat country. Mm-hmm. This would be a, a good spot to get a cat in. Sure enough, here come this beautiful Tom Bobcat come walking right up to me, and I got some great images of him. Do you see foxes out there at all? Uh, I've called up a couple of foxes over the over the past couple of, uh, about three years. I have two that live in my router. I see them every on my. I got the Ring Video doorbell, and yeah. there's two of them. There was one two or three years ago. I'd see him coming home from the lodge, and I so just 
two nights ago, yeah. five o'clock in the morning, two well, foxes are in my yard. Uh, the other morning, I was sitting out on the porch, and there were two gray foxes across the road on my wood pile. Yeah. They're right in the middle of Benjamin. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why. Well, they're they're, there. they're in town because the coyotes eat them. Oh, they will. Yeah. Okay, only so whenever I was trapping uh, for a living back in the seventies, the only place that I would find fox uh, was in the up in the the Rimrock country where they could get away from coyotes. Because they're prey. But if you got away from the Rimrock down into the cattle area, down into the grazing areas where there were a lot of cattle and coyotes hung out, you never caught a fox. It was all uh, always up in the rocky Rimrock area where they can get away from the coyotes. So that's why you that. see them in town, because I see them in Knox City. I got town, one by. Monday, I've seen foxes. In the other day, I was passing through some town. It might have been Monday or Knox City. It was early or late. I can't recall exactly which. But I saw two foxes in the in neighborhoods just trotting across the road. There's one by Hunt Oil that's by my house, because I see it all the time. And then there's a couple that live... Like if you're going out, but you know where Charlie Langford used to have that little uh-huh. shop right there, right mm-hmm. there by the supply house. Yeah, you see, I've yeah. seen them there for years. Yeah. What, now the Indians, they were not big on shooting coyotes, were they? No, no, not at all. That they 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 looked up to them, right? Or yeah, they, they was, respected. It was them? kind of it's kind of a you know a highly respectable animal. Yeah, but they would shoot bobcats. That I don't know. Now the the guys uh, that I took to show some ranch property, and they were uh, from Del Rio. Uh, it was that uh, tribe down there. What would it be? The, um, mm. the the Eagle Pass tribe. Yeah, the Eagle Pass tribe. Anyway, they said that coyotes, bobcats, and white-tailed deer are sacred. Was that Kickapoo Indians? Kickapoo, Kickapoo yeah. Indians. They so said white-tailed coyote, deer were white-tailed deer. They said they would kill them, but but whenever they were processing them, it was all a very sacred ritual. So coyotes, bobcats, and white-tailed deer. Yes. What were they shooting then? Because that would have been the white-tailed deer would have been a staple for them. I would have thought. Oh, they they shot them, but that one of the reasons they were looking at this ranch is because they wanted to show their kids to bring them back to the old ways. Now they didn't buy the ranch, but that was that there were several of them uh, involved in in looking at the property. But they explained to me one of the reasons that we like this is because there's a lot of whitetails and we want to bring our young people out here to to kind of pull them back into the old ways and show them the respect for the animals that they should have. I think we're going to see a big transformation in our country in the next 20 years. I think it's already taken place is that we're going to see a big over emphasis on letting bears, wolves, mountain lions live in uh-huh. neighborhoods and live around people. Yeah. And then we're going to start having people get eaten by them. And then they're going to be wondering what the hell the problem <laughs> yeah. is. Because New Jersey is getting overrun with black bears right now. Neighborhoods uh, yeah, are black just bears. Crazy. I can see because black bears is nothing but an overgrown coon. That's right. exactly right. But the people, the the, <clears throat> the bunny huggers and the granola crunchers, they they love them. You know, oh yeah, yeah. they they do not. Well, I, saw, I saw a dumbass in uh, Crested Butte twenty thirty years ago, over thirty years ago, before I ever got in that business, was selling uh, bumper stickers talking about how bad fuel is and don't drive a car. Yeah. Well, well, who the hell are you selling that bumper sticker? Are you going to see somebody put it on the freaking back? Yeah. You want them to put it on a car? <laughs> yeah. Right. And I thought, what? And I asked him that, and he goes, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. You know, And he was against ant hunting. He yeah. didn't want us to hunt elk. He wanted to put more wolves in place. Yeah. 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 Well, that's not good for the, that's not well, good for the environment. Well, you know, it's, we, man has intervened so much <laughs> that we have to continue. Mm-hmm. Back in the Lewis and Clark days, everything was, as it has been for 10,000 years. But now then we have, we have uh, 
we have been such an influence on population dynamics that something we, we have to continue. Um, I'm for wolves. I like wolves. I like that. I mean, I've studied wolves. And I mean, they, they are, they've got family units. They've got hierarchical systems, uh, almost like human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do kill. They, they kill big game. They have to. They're, they're not rabbit eaters. Um, I've, um, the problem is you, they'll kill elk and they'll kill eight elk and yeah. eat one and the other seven are just dead. You know, and that happens a lot. I don't, I don't know if that's, if that's something that's, that's, uh, that's normal. Um, because, uh, the renegade wolves used to do that. I've got a book, uh, the title of it is called, um, uh, golly. Oh, I haven't looked at it probably 30 years. It's the last of the loners, the last of the loners. I saw it when I was at tech, so I ordered it. And it talks about the last renegade wolves that existed that are now extinct. It's the, the species like, like the Texas species of wolf, uh, Ludovisiana. Canis lupus Ludovici- Ludoviciana was the buffalo wolf. It is now extinct. Uh, Canis lupus monstrobilis, which was from the Concho River south, it is now extinct. But you still have Canis lupus canadensis, Canis lupus alaskas or whatever. You know, there's like 19 or 13 subspecies of wolves. And um, But those early day wolves, once their natural prey species were exterminated, like the buffalo wolf, they had to turn to cattle. Mm-hmm. And the very last of them were the renegades. They were the outlaws. They were wolf outlaws, and they would kill for kicks. Really? Maybe just to jab a finger at the rancher going, I can do this, and I'll do it until you get me. Like the Custer Wolf of South Dakota killed $25,000 worth of cattle in the 20s, in the 1920s. That's That's a lot lot, of cattle. That's a lot of money. You have three toes of Apis Thapa County. It's in Colorado. It also killed thousands of dollars worth of cattle. Three toes in uh, New Mexico. Three toes. Three toes was a killing son of a gun. Uh, I've got the book on that on that wolf, and um, there is a, a naturalist, a big naturalist, actually caught that wolf. I wish I could pull up his name right now, but um, but that wolf ran with a with a mate, a female, and this trapper who became a big naturalist. Uh, caught the female and that wolf, the male just like lost his mind and just started just going around the country howling and, and doing things unnatural to its to what he'd been doing before to evade trapping. And he finally set three or four traps in a trail and caught him on three legs. And he said, we took him to the ranch house. We bound his mouth, took him to the ranch house and put a chain around his neck. And he said he laid down that night and faced the mountains and died. Wow. Crazy. Holy cow. Did, he was in New Mexico? He's in New Mexico. Okay, I'll, I'll try to pull him up. There's another three toes. Three uh, toes is pretty. Oh, man. it's uh, And, and you, you would know the guy's name. He's a big naturalist. Uh, um, but he, but uh, this might be it. But he faced, the, he faced the mountain and died. Faced the mountain and died. That night. That night. They say Indians can do that too. 
They well, can will themselves to die. I've seen cattle do it. I've seen wild cattle back in the early 60s. We'd go out and catch a catch a maverick out in the pasture that had never been caught before, put him in the pens, die that night. Lost the will to live. Lost the will to live. It's yep. crazy. Um, wolves are a fascinating creature, and I'm glad we don't have to jack with them. They're they're they're. They're the evil. dynamic would be uh, our, our dynamic out here would be a whole. Lot, well, we uh, couldn't. Different. I mean, they couldn't coexist because mm-hmm. of the cattle industry and the and the sheep. I mean, they would uh, they would go to them. We don't have enough. You but know, it, it's such a romantic story. Like this wolf is just wrecking havoc, and you oh, took yeah. his lady, and he's he's just going a, a, up and down the mountains, creating the, the chaos. Gr- the great yeah. spirit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it is. I um, mean, this book, The Last of the Loners, is very fascinating, and it tells as much about the trappers as it is about the wolves. Like the guy who caught the cussed wolf of South Dakota. I mean, that, that was a white wolf, and he only weighed like 98 pounds. But that guy, that wolf could kill, uh, I mean, like just I mean, like Briggs? a 150-pound wolf. Clyde F. Briggs is the name no, I found here. No, uh, his name Federal was, uh, I think his name was. Uh, no, last for name Three was, Toes, Three Toes. Federal hunter and trapper Clyde F. Briggs was finally called in the summer of 1925 to help find Three Toes. Uh, I might be looking uh, at look up, Look up the Custer Wolf of South Dakota. Okay. And the guy looked like an Indian. He wore a flat brim hat, and his dad was an old wolfer in the 1800s. So he grew up around wolves. And it, he came in and like in March and trapped for that wolf and finally caught him in October. And um, and he said he broke the chain on the drag and he finally caught up with him and shot him and killed him. And uh, it was it was a big white wolf and I think I think he's uh, he's actually mounted in some uh, in some museum in South Dakota. It's it's crazy the the mystique with the wolves and you know the thing is that they're not going to work today. Like you said, with the cattle and everything. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the Indians. The older I get, the more sympathetic for Indians I become. Oh, sure. I mean, sure. I, I, and it goes back to John F. Kennedy. I know this has absolutely nothing to do with it, but if you look back in our history, when John F. Kennedy was president, we're finding out that the war machine and stuff had him killed. I don't think there's any yeah, doubt yeah, that I they were involved. I don't doubt it. I don't and doubt it. We're finding out how crooked our country has been. Yeah. And then, so that was the John F. Kennedy era. Well, then you go back behind him, goes to South Dakota. You know Mount Rushmore and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. We have we've totally our government has lied to us and it's lied to everybody it's dealt with for these exi- for these people we don't know who they are. That's what's scary is I we agree. don't even know who's running our country. That's and right. Stuff. Absolutely. Was it Harry Persever- Percival Williams. Was it, was uh, yes, Williams. Williams was his was his last name. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It says. Uh, Where did they trap the Custer? Was it by Little Bighorn? Uh, they caught him in, in, near Custer, South Dakota. Yeah, and that's how he got the name Custer. Custer. Williams. Yeah, Williams was his last name. H.P. Williams. Yeah, H.P. Williams. Williams. Yes. I remember all the trouble and grief he caused, but I tell you, I'd built up such a respect for the old devil that if he hadn't had a trap on one foot, I might have just killed him. I really think I might have. If I might have, what does he say here? But I tell you, I had built up such a respect for the old devil that if he hadn't had a trap on one foot, I just might not have killed him. I really think I might have let him go. Wow. But yeah, it's just... I tell you, there's a... It's, it's amazing. I, I was looking through a Haskell County history book one day, and I, or I would have never known this until I was in Lubbock at the, uh, at the, um, in McKenzie Park, and there's a historical marker there. 
1879, two cowboys were at uh, in Blanco Canyon, and they saw a mass movement of animals, like five or ten abreast and miles long. And they rode over to them, and they were wolves. Really? And they were heading in like a northwest direction, west-northwest. And there's a historical marker in Lubbock about the great wolf migration. I'll be damned. And it was after the slaughter of the buffalo. These were the Canis, Lupo, Lupus, Lu, Canis Lupus Ludovicianus, the buffalo wolf. We're hungry. The big northern buffalo wolves. They had lost their, their food base, and they were going. How, they didn't know where, but they right, were headed just, out of the country. How many wolves... I wonder were around when the buffalo migration was at its peak. Oh my goodness! Way before, way before white man. What a wonderful place to have lived to have been. Oh. Sixteen hundred in the plains of the United States. Uh, to give you an idea, uh, I have a book uh, written by Young. He worked for the uh, what's now the Fish and Wildlife Service. It was the uh, Biological Survey back in the early days, and it's a history of the wolves, and he talks about. Wolf, old wolfers who didn't use traps, they used poison, nothing but strychnine. And he said they were the loneliest, <laughs> I guess the, the low end of the totem pole of the hunters. You had your buffalo hunters that were, <laughs> they were just pretty nasty. Yeah. And he said, then you had your wolfers. Really? He said, they scraped the bottom of the barrel, basically. He said, they would take a wagon and they would take a team and they would take strychnine and their rifles. And they would go out onto the range and they would kill a buffalo. And they would skin him back and they would make a paste with that strychnine and just just paint it underneath that skin. The next day, as many as 80 dead wolves around one buffalo. He said the wolf, buffalo, the wolves were so plentiful that they would surround the guy as he was putting strychnine on the, on the, really? the carcass and sit and wait for him to leave. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. And they're so, they're so smart. So very intelligent. And like you said, like they've got systems, they've got families, they've That's got right. they've got a pecking order that they've That's established. Right. And, and the only time they got broken up is whenever they come in and, and kill. Mm-hmm. You know, man comes in and, and disrupts that, that uh hierarchical system and that's whenever they break up and then they become sort of like, you know see in, in a hierarchical system, only the alpha male and female breed. Right. The rest of them are not allowed to breed. Right. In that in that family group. And so then when you, once you break it up, then they, it's just indiscriminate. Mm-hmm. How much of that do you see? Any of that in coyotes, the, the, the family system? Oh, yeah. You do? Yeah. yeah. Male and female, they'll, they'll mate maybe for one year, but the male and female take care of the pups. And they'll run together. So the male will stay, stay around yeah. until yep. the pups are raised. Yep. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know yeah. the wolves have ruined many, many herds of, of, of deer and elk. They're, mm-hmm. I don't want, well, Yellowstone is a place that they're really wiping out the elk. Yeah. Because they're out of control. Well, are they are they wiping out the elk? Or this is a question. Just just a question. Or are the wolves putting it back at that level that it's always been? Well, they could be putting it back at the level, and it's not the white man's standards, but it may be right. nature's standards. See, that's just it. So it's I, not I, our standards. Right. But they I, want lots. We want lots, and they're putting it more in balance with what it used to be. Right. I've never seen as many elk as I've seen in my life when I was at Yellowstone and going north out of Yellowstone. And that's probably not natural. There's elk everywhere. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't rye fields and there wasn't wheat fields and there wasn't pivots back then. And a guy buys a 10,000-acre ranch up there, he wants 10,000 head of elk to shoot. Right, and stuff. right. And he doesn't want any any wolves. So, yes, it could be 
nature standards and man standards are completely different. Yes, totally. I, I, I guarantee that's it's that's the case. But they, when they reintroduce these wolves, these populations, I think in Minnesota they've reintroduced the wolf. It's wiped out their whitetail herd up there. Yeah. So I don't know why you want to reintroduce it with something that's going to wipe out what you. Why? Okay. Again, again, qualify wipeout. I don't know. I know that wipeout is it is it imbalance or is it. Are we way out of proportion, and now then it's imbalance again? It's it's nature That's, standards versus man standards. Yes. We don't know. I don't know what it is. I can't give you the numbers. I know the people that live in those places are seeing a huge a huge difference. Oh sure, it, but sure. man's man done a lot of good things. We've done a lot of horrible oh, sure. evil things. Absolutely, but we wouldn't have any ducks and geese if it wasn't for Ducks Unlimited and some yeah. of these things. Yeah. We'd have wiped oh, them out years yeah. ago because Bunt man guns, yeah. because man was mad bad. Yeah. And he was greedy, and he did all that. Passenger same pigeons. Same with buffalo. Yeah. Passenger pigeons. Sure. Buffalo the same way. When I see these new, uh, these dove here, the uh, Eurasian dove. Eurasian, yeah. I think that is pretty close to what a passenger pigeon should have been like. Could they have said been, the yeah. skies were black with them. Yeah. Just black. And they shot every one of them. They shot them with those, what are they calling Punt guns or bunt guns? or Punt guns. Punt guns, yeah. They just wiped them out. Did you know that they used air guns on the Lewis and Clark expedition? I did. I did not know that until a couple of years ago. Yeah. That, that's crazy. Some kind of a really powerful yeah. air gun. Yeah. You kill a bear with it. Yeah. It's amazing. I read a story about uh General McKenzie was on that was on that trap or was on I don't know if he was on that trip. He was on another expedition and he got attacked by a buffalo or, or a grizzly bear. Ripped his scalp off. He didn't drink or anything. Mm -hmm. He's not a drinker. And he asked the the corpsman, he said, Go get Medic Johnson and tell him to bring his kid over here. Would you like some whiskey, sir? He said, I really don't want him operating on me if he's drinking. I would prefer <laughs> that, that, no, just bring me my Bible. And he read the Bible. Well, they stitched his scalp back on. Wow. Talked about how, you know, that's, he sat there and had him sketch his whole scalp out. That's tough. Oh. Get me liquored up. That's too tough, buddy. <laughs> Give me some of that rock gut whiskey. <laughs> that's right. I don't care if it's hot, cold. <laughs> just, so I'll, that I don't Indian even need whiskey made with, uh, what is it, uh, some river water? Uh, let's see, river water, alcohol, a pinch of strychnine, and a plug of chewing tobacco. Chewing tobacco, that's right. Have you ever had any of that? No. Never? No. You've never, no. You've never made no. your own homemade whiskey? <laughs> no. <laughs> the, 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 that tobacco deal, that Dr. History I was listening to, I ought to send him a bill for giving him a plug, so our podcast is a whole lot bigger than his is. But he talks about the old plug whiskey, or the plug tobacco, about how they'd break them and chew that stuff off. That just was a, just... You know, the Cuban cigars, though, they had Cuban cigars. The rich guys back, did back then. Human cigars. Cuban. Oh, Cuban. They got the Cubanos. Oh, okay. And they would, they would get those and they'd come in off them ships like St. Yeah, Augustine yeah. and stuff. And that was a big thing with all the rich people was to have a Cubano cigar. Yeah. But it talked about how that we really have not changed. Tobacco products have not changed much from them days. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they had tobacco that they ground up like skull. Oh, sure, sure. And they had the, the snuff that they sniffed. And yeah. then they had the... The Cubanos, and they have the, uh, what's the other fancy cigars? Uh, Cubans, all I know. Raphael Pete's or something. Or I've, uh, heard, I've heard of them before. Yeah. He talks about this, too. And it was it was crazy. The, the poor people would have this, the mail patch sack of, of snuff that they used. Yeah. But just how hard those plugs were. You know, you get a plug, you just had to batch out. Oh, my goodness. I just, ooh. I'm when, reading more about Custer, the, the Custer wolf. He says he drugged that chain three miles away the night that they caught him. They uh -huh. was in Mount Rushmore, or he was in that, 
the Badlands. But he had gotten he 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 stuck his foot in a trap and he basically drug it three miles away. The guy uh, Williams had to follow him. <clears throat> Says by the time he made it to Custer, he had broken off most of his teeth gnawing at the steel trap in a different frantic attempt to rid himself of it. Blood foaming and dripping from his mouth. The wolf made an unnerving lunge to escape, and that's where William shot him. Wow. Uh, you know, um, O.D. Props, he was alive when I was a, a little boy, and he told about a wolf being caught outside of Benjamin and, and uh, them having to, to uh, track him for two or three miles mm-hmm. in, those, in that rough country. It was a gray wolf way back in the early days. <laughs> that, that wolf would weigh, what, 120 pounds? Yeah, the big buffalo wolves, uh, they said, like, um, um, oh, let's see. Talk about killing them up on the matadors up in there, and they were like 150-pound wolves. I had We was in the Boundary Waters one summer, and we had wolves come into camp, and they howled right by our tent. Now, it sounded like they were behind the tent. Mm-hmm. It might have been a quarter of a mile away. But it is the most eerie. When uh-huh. you're in the middle of the dark, and you're sleeping in a tent, and you hear that noise... There's nothing in the world that sounds like a wolf hollering in the woods. Yeah. Nothing. I've heard a I mountain agree. lion screech. I've heard a bobcat screech. I've heard coyotes. But when that wolf does it, if your hair don't stand up on your back, <laughs> you're deaf. I'm telling you. What was it? Uh, I was talking or I was reading uh, in a book somewhere or talking to an older person, and they were talking about the howl of a wolf at, at night. And, and how eerie it was, how it would put fear into every rancher's heart. Yes. Uh, because they knew that night that there was killing on their, on their, mm-hmm. their ranch ground yes. somewhere. That, I, can, I can see that. It is an eerie, eerie, eerie sound. Yeah. If you want to go experience that too, you need to go to the plains of Saskatchewan. It is crazy when you get up there, you see elk, you see deer, you see bears yeah. in farming country, just like this everywhere. Yeah. And it's had to be the same way it is now oh, yeah. as it was back in the 16 and 1500s. Yeah. I've, I've been to Saskatchewan over at Saskatoon uh-huh. in that area, photographing. Yeah, and that's like uh, open plains country mm-hmm. and a big white-tailed deer. Yes, big, big white-tailed Real big, yeah. We, 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 one afternoon we were scouting. We saw elk, we saw bear, we saw white-tail, and we saw mule deer oh, and moose. Wow. All in the same area. Well, how many places can you see all that? You know, they talk about that. I have a book, uh, and it's The Journal of a Trapper. Is the name. It's not a, not a thick book, perhaps 125 pages. But it's two guys talking about trapping in eastern Kansas, and they talk about the same thing. Just the and the plains, amount. open plains, and, and the grizzlies, and, the, and the, uh, the mule deer, and the buffalo, and the elk, and the wolves. It must have been some kind of a mecca. Mm-hmm. A wildlife mecca. So back to coyotes. What happens when the, that that uh, year's young grows up? Do they go off to find yeah. mates and yeah? Well, habitat? you have what you have is it's, it's like in August, like right now. Of course, they're going to weigh probably about ten, twelve pounds right now, mm-hmm. and and in November comes the, what's what's known as the fall shuffle. And that's whenever the young are kicked off, and that's when you're going to start seeing a lot of pups run over on the road. Oh, right. A lot of dead coyotes right. on the road, and then most of them are pups. And they're moving, trying to find a region, an area to, to settle in. Mm-hmm. Coyotes don't have territories like wolves do. Wolves have territories. Right. And nothing comes into that territory. Mm-hmm. And so, but coyotes will intermingle. So these 
these pups are trying to find a region that has you know ample food, water, and cover so they can so they can survive. Mm-hmm. So in November is the fall shuffle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're already basically pretty much on their own, but there's the the adults are still hanging out with them right now. I've seen it. I have actually two adults with a bunch of young pups around eight or ten pounds, all following you know following the adults through the pasture. How many will they have? It- offspring will they have four, uh, you know four generally generally uh when i was doing my research and digging up the dens and tattooing the pups uh five to seven five to seven so yeah. that many yeah and then do uh, do they all make it what's the no 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 you got how the many stemper. do you think are there right now you think i you know i don't have any, i don't have any any stats on on 30, survivability how many make it would 30 yeah. percent be a bit a high stat you think well i would figure 30 percent be okay yeah Five to seven little coyote pups. If two make it, she's probably mother did a, probably a pretty good job. I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. I would say no, nah, three. I'd say three. She did a good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then November they'll do the they'll they'll have the shuffle. Now, uh-huh. when are they looking for like will males and females? When will when will the breeding? When when the, does that become the a priority? Begins in January, and, and that, then will you see another shuffle? No, that's that's when the priestess is when when the females start to, you know, they start to kind of like going into heat, but uh-huh. not yet, right? Uh, you know, they'll they'll have some, they'll be uh, exuding some some blood, you know, and and then in February is when the actual meeting uh, the mating season begins. And then males will come from every direction for. Oh, yeah. yeah, you'll see. I've seen you know and eight then, or ten males with one with one female. And then the, is there a pecking order established? Oh yeah, there's a big fight oh, yeah. in there's, February. There's a big boy in a bunch. Yeah. So the big boy is going to get laid. Yeah, yeah. Now is it like is it like wolves where only he's getting uh, to propagate his genes into the future, or can the subordinates no, the, go to another? Oh yeah, yeah. They're they're not like a wolf. They're like Democrats. They'll bang anything. Oh yeah. yeah. So the so the subordinates can go off to a land oh, sure. where maybe say, they can well, be. Well, you know, we've lost this one. Let's guy. go find us another one. Yeah. Huh. So one male will have multiple pups. Uh no no no. Once they once they pair up, that male stays with that female that season. Okay, so there's not no. Then no one that is not like you know. He's not nailing he's, he's fifteen. Not, it's not yeah, like a deer. No 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 no. Completely different. They yeah. have a they have a they relationship. go dig a den. Usually it's a badger hole they enlarge, and uh, when I used to to hunt the dens to to tattoo the pups for a home range study, I would ride horseback uh, through the rough country, and you'd come up on like a just a Tobosa flat, and there'd be two or three badger holes. Well, I would get down and I'd put my ear to the hole, and you could hear those pups whimpering. Really, and it, you really couldn't tell that hole from any of the other holes. And then, then I take go back. And of course, you have to go back that day because once you left and and if you were gone overnight, the female would would leave would would move the pups. She'd come back that night, smell your presence, and boom, she's gone next day mm-hmm. with the pups. Everybody's gone. And so I would immediately lope back to the house, get in my bronco, come back with a shovel, and then dig. And there would be it would go down maybe two feet deep and maybe six or eight feet long. And then have a nursing room, and then they have little side rooms for the puppies to crawl up in and just lay up. Really? But there would be a big kind of like a gymnasium, so to speak, and that's where she would lay up and she'd nurse the pups. 
Now, did, the, did you ever have do, do rattlesnakes get in with the pups and kill them? No, 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 no. They they won't let that happen. So the rattlesnakes don't jack with the coats. No, because as uh, uh, they're denning in uh, they, okay, they den in May. They have their pups in May. So in snakes June. are already going. Snakes are already out and moving. They're they're not going to go to a hole. Okay. Do you uh, how many times you you dig up a badger? Oh, I've never dug up a badger. That's a mean animal. Yeah. This this winter was real interesting. I was out calling for for my last photographs for this book, and uh, it was a cold day, little snow on the ground, in the shadowed areas, and I was walking along an old road, and there was a a badger lying in the, in the mouth of his den. And just as I walked up to him, he turned and ran back down in, and I just stood there, and he came back out, and then he just laid down and put his chin on his feet and just sat there while I talked to him. <laughs> and I bet I stayed there for 10 minutes. How taking close were photo- you to from Here to that right there. And never, ever just kind of sit there and watch. He just sit there and just close his eyes. He just bat his eyes and he'd close them and he'd open them. <laughs> make some cool pictures. And uh, and I and I walked, moved all around, got different angles. And then I said, well, listen, I got to go. I got to go make a stand. And he never. And I walked off. And when I came cared. back, he was gone. Did you see the the video that Heath Welch had of their badger with the rattlesnake in its mouth? No, but I've I've seen it before. I've seen that happen before on, on videos. Yeah, he, he was caught it on video on an oil lease over here. It what, was big, too. Big, 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 big old rattlesnake. rattlesnake. Yeah. Big, big. That old badger just like a damn lab with a duck in its mouth, just proud really? of itself. Yeah. <laughs> so when when you were checking the dens to see if the pups were in there, what are the parents doing? Are they out trying to get? Oh, food? they're they're okay. They'll either be they're within they're within sight. Uh huh. So they saw you. I mean, they know they, you're they, there. They knew you were there. Uh, sometimes they'll stand off and bark. Mm-hmm. Really? And you'll see them off there 200 yards away, and uh, but they don't ever come in close, real close to you. Do they do anything? Because you see birds do this. They'll play wounded or something like that to where a the predator. Kill, the kill D. What, uh, what a female or a male will do is if you're trotting by a den with a horse, they'll be right close to you and they'll try to lead you away. Really? The They're not acting will. crippled. They're just They're real just close to, to you. Push you away. Just real close. Akildi is one of the most interesting ones. The oh way it does yeah, it. yeah. And if nobody's ever seen it, you need to video or YouTube it. A killdeer with a with a nest. They do, we we saw one in, uh, in Mackinac Island last yeah. year yeah. when the parking she was, lot. She was yeah. big old actress. She had her wing cocked to the side and yeah. she was just making this god awful sound like it. But she had a nest close by. Yeah. And, and I mean, they have to do what they have to do. Um, so they always see you, and then they. But you, so you said you'd you'd find it, you'd go get your bronco, and then you'd right back to it. Otherwise, we'll she's, go right back to she's it. If you, if you wait till nightfall, they're gone the next day. And then whenever you dig them up, are they? They're still just right there, kind of observing you. Put, you? Yeah, they. You put them right back in that hole. What's left of it, and the next day go back, and they're gone. And they're gone. She's moved them to a secondary den. Now, when you were tattooing them, mm-hmm. were, did you ever find any that you had tattooed the previous, the next six year? months later? And they weighed 20. When I ta- uh, tattooed them, they weighed a quarter of a pound. And whenever I caught them again, they weighed 21 pounds. Wow. That's crazy. One mile away. One mile away. Six One. months later. Um, well, they live in the same three or four mile area their oh, whole yeah. life. Yeah. Uh, the, the home range of a coyote is about nine square miles, three by three. How old are they when they come out of the den? Um, they'll actually start, you know, fiddling around, catching bugs and stuff at about, you know, six weeks old. 
you'll find you know little little feces all out away from the den, mm-hmm. and they're about the size, you know, jackrabbit, a little okay. bit smaller than jackrabbit. But when whenever you were catching them, did they even have their eyes open? Oh, no. I'm assuming no. they're like a like a regular dog. They're just, a, they're... I mean, a tiny little fluffy, just a ball of fur. <laughs> how how many uh, how many people do you know that's ever had coyote as a pet? I had one. How'd that work out? Uh, it, it worked out fine until he found my dad's chickens. Uh oh, that he, was all and he sure. Killed, killed one every day, and we and I took him, and let him go. I mean, he ran wild. He stayed under the barn. Or he stayed down the pasture, and at night he'd come up in the yard and play with the dogs, jump on our cots, and uh, used us as a springboard to jump on the dogs. And uh, then he then he found the chickens, and he started eating one. And Dad said, that's nice. And Daddy said, you're going to have to take him off. So I took him all the way over here to the Knox City Highway from the Rhineland Highway and let him go on, the, on a So he was killing tank, somebody else's tank. chickens in by then, probably. Yeah, probably so. His name was Kaschatis. Kaschatis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never known anybody to have a pet bobcat. I had a pet bobcat for about I had a four pet days. Bobcat. That was the worst experience I ever had in my life. That was a tough... I had to let him go. Well, mine was my wife told me, get rid of that cat. And I took it to people, and I was scared to death of that sucker. And it was about six weeks old. It, was a, it sounded like a Tasmanian devil. Yeah, they, they were, it doesn't take much to get one pissed off at you. No, it was mean <laughs> as hell. I've always wanted to have a raccoon, but everybody says they're terrible. Oh, no. My they tear up more shit. They just, they just tear up everything. I've seen people with them, and they say they all have the same story. They tear up everything. Somebody had a computer I knew that had one, and Took it popped the, all the buttons off the computer. Oh, good gracious. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to put good. them all back in? Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I'd, I'd kill somebody. So back to your book. We've strayed. You've got your forward. Yes. What else have we got? Yes. Well, it's broken down into chapters. Like I say, this is not a book about how to kill things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've killed a lot of coyotes in 57 years of calling. But this is just more or less a salute to the art of calling. And you've got uh, the chapter one is a predator caller is born. In October the 17th, 1965, and I call it my first coyote. Mm-hmm. Shot him with a 30-30 running at 247 yards. And I, and I put rocks on the blood spot and went back a few years ago with a range finder. And I thought, well, you know, I probably exaggerated that. Exactly 247 yards. Really? Yes. With a, with a two-and-a-half power scope on a 30-30 Marlin. <laughs> That's and what then, I killed my first coyote with. I'm sorry? That's what I killed my first coyote with. 30-30 Marlin with a shitty scope. Uh, hey, with a Sears and Roebuck two-and-a-half power scope. Yeah, up at Gilland. <laughs> and uh, then this, uh, chapter two is a history, and that, that goes into the, the 1854. And then I kind of give a, you know, a basic history of up to the present date. And then uh, chapter three is a predator calling as an art. That it's, you know, it's... It, I, I, I really I practiced with a call all since I was a kid, and I have a very distinct way of calling, and it is kind of an art form. It's like music. And, uh, and then chapter four is thinking like a predator. You've got you to kind of, this is coyote country, and you know, you got cedar berries, you got mesquite beans, and this is an area where they'll use in the daytime. This is an area they're going to use at nighttime. And then chapter five be rules for success of field, just your basic rules of, of, of you know, approaching a stand and uh, also camouflaging yourself against a backdrop. Chapter six is the natural history of a fox, coyote, and bobcat. And then uh, chapter seven is behavioral aspects of the animals, 
how each one of them acts. And then chapter eight is is anecdotal experiences of field while calling. Mm-hmm. And there's about 200 pages, uh, probably you know 150 photographs, uh, charts, uh, pie charts, uh, bar charts, uh, data that I've collected over 40 years of uh, calling experiences of you know of uh, weather conditions. Um, wind directions, all this, all this, this information, and then I actually went back and used some of my information from my research when I was at Tech on uh, on food habits of mm-hmm. coyotes and rolling plants. Although something drastic has changed since then. Back then, we didn't have near the whitetail numbers, right. and we had no wild hogs, right? And that's made a big difference. A lot in, the, in the body animal. size, a lot more, a lot more uh, uh, predation on hogs, a lot more. Go ahead, Andy. Do you notice, is there, um, is there a, a certain call or cadence that works better with mature coyotes than, like, say, a younger pup? Not really. No? Nothing Not like really. that? Uh, to me, an older coyote is easier to call up than a pup. Because a pup is just kind of like a young kid. He's just kind of out there, just kind of farting around, you know. But a but an older animal, he's there. He's there for keeps. Doing business. He's there. He's, I'm going. I'm going to go get me something. Yep. Right, right. What was the toughest chapter for you to write? In, in in all of that, whenever you look at whenever you look at your chapter list laid out, was there one that you were just like, "God, this is a lot tougher than what I thought it might be." Uh you know, the, it was it was just it was just a process of writing. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and trying to to write in a manner that is interesting to to both callers and non-callers. Someone who's interesting just in the ex- wow, that, I wonder if that would be kind of a cool thing to do. Right. And trying to to uh, you know to play to both crowds in a manner that would be nice and equal. Because I'm not I'm not. You can take this and use it for for research. You can take it and use it for uh, just watching animals come in to photograph or to shoot mm-hmm. with a rifle, yeah, and so I wanted to cover everybody, and so uh, and so I had to kind of, you know, there's none, there's no big hero shots of me holding up 15 dead coyotes, right? I don't I, think I've been through that, that stuff no. before. Yeah, they want the content of what you what you have right. to say, and I, it's, it's not about that. Did you have more pressure on you because you've said this is probably going to be your last book? Did you put more pressure on yourself to make sure that this I was did. perfect? I did. And and we've been through a lot of editing, right? And uh, and I've been I actually rewrote a large part of it. Uh, it's going to be about twenty thousand words, and, and you, so um, I can't wait to see it. It's going to be great. And you're hoping for October at the earliest. Hoping possibly. for October, yeah. And, and you can go to uh, actually for for uh, pre-orders. You can go to whammyminzer.com and go to the official store and for a first edition. And uh, what's the book running? It's going to be worth $75. $75. Best yes. $75 you'll spend. If you've got someone in your life that is older person, especially, and they appreciate things from the past, this is a great Christmas gift for them. I mean, it's something they will cherish. When you when they open that up and they see that, they think, oh, yes. Because it's not going to give them just three or four or five minutes of excitement. It's a bunch of reading and a bunch of looking it up, and the pictures will be amazing. So I'd right. recommend it. And, I, uh, you know, kind of where you are in your life, you you can take different lessons from it. You know, if you're in the kill stage, you can get a lesson. And right. You can, you can right. reread it 10 years from now and, and have a totally different into, mind shift. I just want to photo. There's so many people saying, I used to hunt 
all the time. And now I just like to take a camera and a rifle yeah. and I use most of the camera. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where I am in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, I call up, you know, two to 250 coyotes a winter and I may shoot 15 just to keep my notes going. Right. If I don't keep this, uh, uh, like the age and the weight and the weather conditions, my notes die for 40 years and I don't want that to happen. But it's a funny thing that whenever I go out and I call up a coyote and I shoot it, I have regrets. Yeah. And I don't want to waste it. And so I go and I take all this scientific information off of it. I remember I took some people out one time calling and, and it was to shoot. And so we'd shot, I don't know, 15 or 20. And, uh, and they were all slinging them in a, in a draw. And I said, hold it, hold it, hold it, guys. That's not the way you treat these animals. Mm -hmm. You know, let's show a little respect and so I made them go down there and pick all of them up. And I said, where would they be right now in the middle of the day? They'd be on the shady side of a bush on a sunny day. So let's put them there. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's, you just have a little bit more respect for the animal as you get older. Well, he gave up his life for you to get That's your right. kicks off. That's so right. So have a little bit of dignity. That's right. I'm going to change up just a minute. You talked about mesquite beans. Mm -hmm. Have you ever made mesquite bean coffee? I have heard. Who was it I talked to just recently? Who, uh, who bought some, and they said it's pretty good. You can make it yourself. Yeah, and this guy was a, was a coffee maker, but he didn't make his own. He bought a bag, and he said it's pretty good stuff. I, I've been seeing a lot of it advertised, and you, yeah. we, we got a lot of beans this year. Yeah, and everybody I says, when you got beans, you're going to have a cold winter. I hope they're yeah. right. I, don't know I if hope even, they're right. I hope they are too, but you just you roast them in the oven. Yeah. And then yeah. put them in a grinder. At certain degrees. Yes. Drier, and then you ground them up. And you yep. drink them like coffee. Of course, I'm not a coffee drinker, but it would be interesting to taste it. I drink coffee some, but I like tea more than I do that's coffee. All, that's all. I drink green tea. Yep. To start your day every yep. morning? Mm-hmm. I need the... I need... I'm a coffee... Were you ever a coffee guy or are you always Never. a tea guy? I tried it in college, trying to stay up for finals. Never worked. Never worked. Did you ever take no-dos? Never. I took them on going to skiing one time. We were going to drive all night. Uh -huh. I was like... I'll take some no-dos. Never done it before. So I took one like at 11 o'clock. Uh -huh. Some bitches knocked me on my ass. I was tired. <laughs> and I took them. I'm 15 minutes later. I'm trying to drive. I'm like, oh, my God. These things did not work. They did not help me stay up. They made me sleepy. But I can drink a cup of coffee or tea and go to bed. It, yeah. oh, caffeine does not do that to me. I don't think. I, too. I think I've killed my receptors. My caffeine, whatever receptor that is, I think I've killed it just from years of being up so early and always yeah. drinking a lot of coffee. Yeah. Because we were in, uh, when, when, we were, when we were on vacation, I had an espresso. And then we got in the car to go somewhere. And I was asleep 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. I just had an espresso. I should you, know, be you know, I've had good coffee before. I was at Boone Pickens' one time and I was shooting that book on his place. And he said, you want a cup of coffee? And I said, yeah, I guess so. You know, right. you're drinking some. Yeah. And I liked it. Yeah. But it's just something I never really got started on. The best coffee that I ever have is it. And, we, and we've got a sponsor, Dirty Duck Coffee, and they have good coffee. And I like the Missouri Boat Ride. It's a pecan client type. But I drink coffee at City Hall at Knoxville before I have court. Yeah. I get a, a, big, a big old glass every day. And I drink more coffee at City Hall, Knox City. Like out here in the wintertime, we have coffee going all the time, and I'll drink some coffee. Uh -huh. But in the summertime, I'm not drinking coffee. So right. Andy and them, my boys, they all get up and have coffee every morning. I'm like, yeah. how do y'all drink this shit in the morning? <laughs> I think it's just routine more than anything. Yeah, it's routine. I think it's yeah. just something that it's that's just how I start routine. my day, yeah. and yeah. you know, I'm going to watch a little bit of the news, and then I'm going to start my day. But yeah. I don't know how much of an effect it has on me anymore. It doesn't jap you up and go. I mean, it's just like, I think it's more like a symbolic, this is how my day starts. And exactly. And, that, and a lot of that's with the green tea also. I like, 
get up, you know, do my exercises seven days a week. If I'm if I'm not on the road, I get up in the morning, do exercises, lift some weights, and and then I'll eat a bite, and then I'll get me some some um, some green tea and sit down. And it's the beginning. Of You're the an day. oatmeal guy, aren't you? Well, I tell you, I hadn't had an oatmeal in a while. I've got burned out on that stuff. I I, uh, I, dry, I eat a cereal, kind of a, a nut cereal. Which one? Oh, what is it? Uh, mm. Jesse, Andy's wife has it. What's that one she eats? Kashi? Kashi? No. K-A-S-H. What is this? I don't know. I, I bought some yesterday. I like oatmeal. Yesterday. I, like I, like, oatmeal. I like oatmeal, but after you've eaten it for a year every morning, it's yeah. like, I'm try something different my, my here. favorite breakfast is poached eggs on toast. My grandmother's mm-hmm. English, so my mom would make poached eggs on toast. Yeah. I don't know why more people don't do it. It's not it's it's a yeah. it's a fried egg, but it's boiled in water. Well, There's I, nothing fattening to I, it. I fell off the wagon this morning. I came to Knox City and I had Webbles uh, Rancheros with oh, crispy yeah. bacon. That's the way to go. Man, that is the way to start a day. I've had That's so many guys tell me that they see you there. They're like, my God, Wyman Minzer was at Isabella's eating breakfast. I said, yeah. <laughs> They're four days a week, probably. Eat <laughs> yeah. breakfast a lot there. I, or lunch. My wife and I eat every, lunch every every day. Yeah, <laughs> I eat the same thing. It's a it's a chicken with a little shrimp pieces of shrimp on it. Yeah, because they'll be like, "Did you know he goes to regular places?" <laughs> you think he hangs out with celebrities all the time you in know? Benjamin, Texas? He, yeah, he's over at, got all these celebrities. He's, he's over there. at Guthrie hanging out with Kevin Costner sometimes. Yeah, he's right there. It's, no. He's one of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, listen. We really appreciate you coming out here. Good luck on your good luck on your book. You bet. Thank I you. Hope, I hope it goes incredibly well. Pre-order. You can pre-order it right now. And you, you can. We've already made uh, <coughs> received several lots of orders. Actually, good thousands deal. of dollars worth. Good deal. And then it'll be ready. Hopefully October. Nothing else. November. Does so. seventy five dollars come with shipping, or is this shipping? No, nah, shipping's going to be extra. Okay, yeah. so so ninety bucks, less than a hundred dollars. Yeah, probably can get. less than a hundred bucks. And I'm I'm telling you, this is. This is accumulation of uh, over a half a century of information and experience. Where's all your notes going to when you pass? Kids uh, or college? You know what? That's that's a good question. I've had some had some people ask me. I don't know. I don't know. But it's going to go to Southwest Collection somewhere. It's a sad day when Wyman Menzer's gone because we're going to lose a bunch of knowledge, and we don't mm-hmm. have much knowledge out there anymore. Well, I, I appreciate the. the the kind thought, Terrence. We don't. We don't. We've lost a lot of that. We have. And, you know, and I, I tell you, as much as anything, the information that I've, I've uh, gleaned from the old people I used to work with. Yeah. The old stories. It's like, it's like the Indians passing stories to their youth. Like, uh, like I said earlier, when I worked with the, the older guys, you know, 1884, 1889, and I heard their way of, of life. And and I've sort of mixed mine with uh, with the old ways. Like the other day, I went down to Batch Camp, my old trapping cabin, and uh, and sat down there and cleaned. Uh, it brought back memories of of, an, of another time, and I and I'll always cherish that. And I cherish the stories of those old men and women that I used to talk to. I was talking about that today on Facebook. Is I used to go to Skiles Brothers gas station, yeah, yeah. and I loved Weldon and Weldon. God Almighty, they made me laugh because they talk about everything, and. Weldon told me one time, he said, or Willard, I can't remember which one. I think it was Willard told me, he said, you know, Jeff, he goes, there's no shame in being poor. There's only shame in staying poor. I yeah. thought, you know, that's right. Yeah. And But I used to go up there and I always felt bad. Michelle goes, why don't you go up there more? I said, well, I'm 28 years old. Yeah. These guys are 70-something. <laughs> and it's yeah. mostly old people. But when I would go up there, I would love it because I would just sit and listen. 
mm-hmm. and I'd ask questions about stuff. Yeah. And looking back now, they loved having me come there because I was asking them things they wanted to talk sure. about. Sure. Because when I have a young guy that talks to me about something, I really, they'll be like, well, Mr. Stanfield, we hate to bother you. No, I like talking about That's stuff right. in the past. Right. I really enjoy it. Absolutely. You know, my boys, they've heard all my stories. They don't want to ask me nothing yeah, anymore. Yeah. But I want, but that's, that, that's the, that's going to be lost. You know, we don't have enough storytellers. It is. It is. And, and and we need a lot of that. Anyways, I do appreciate you being on here, Wyman. Your book's going to hey, be a huge success. Thanks for having me. You I bet. I really appreciate you guys. And we look forward to having you on again with us in the spring sometime when hunting season's over. Sounds good. You got anything, Andy? That's it. All right, go, ahead, go check out our sponsors. Uh, go out, lucky duck, get that blind. Talk to you later. God bless y'all. Have a great week. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, go check out all of our wonderful sponsors before you get out of here. Go check out Boss Shot Shells, Dive Bomb Industries, Pacific Calls, Gun Dogs Outdoors, Shin Gear Waiters, Lucky Ducks, Looking Life Duck Club Podcast, Alpha Outdoor Specialties, Bangtail Whiskey, Stanford Hunt Outfitters, Ducks Unlimited, Dirty Duck Coffee, and Double T British Canada. 